Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's your big Wednesday podcast being recorded on a Tuesday night in a live Zoom room. We have about 20 of our most loyal Ohio State Tech subscribers joining us here for what is kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a season preview. We kind of were like, yeah, I guess it's the season preview. But I have a question and a thing I want to talk about. We are also going to take live questions from our tech subscribers who are here in the Zoom room. But the thing that I want to do is something I mentioned the other day. Could this be the greatest season in Ohio State football history? And there are some parameters that I laid out. I have five things that would go into making this the greatest season in Ohio State football history. And so I'm going to read a text first, Nathan and Stephen. This is, of course, Doug A. Maurice, along with Stephen Means and Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com. We appreciate everyone who's uh, listening right now for the normal Big Wednesday pod and appreciate everyone joining us here in the text room. So anyone in the text room, if you want to hit the raise hand function and chime in off the start on the idea of maybe this having a chance to be the greatest season in Ohio State football history, I wouldn't mind getting some texter input off the bat here, but I want to read this text first because I like it when people call us out because I'm in the business of calling people out. That's how I got where I am today. So I like what people do it to us. This is from Steve in Atlanta in the 678 sent this text the other day. All three of you made fun of Ryan Day's once in a lifetime team quote. Then Doug made it his thesis on the very next podcast. Now it's a serious pod, talk, pod topic. Yes, I believe it could be, if things fall correctly. I have responded to Steve on the text because we can interact with our texters that way. Nathan, does, it's mostly calling me out. I'm trying to lump yeah, you guys. Yeah, what's his like, weed? I know. Now listen, you're on the podcast with me. When I, when I go down, we all go down together. That is not how shipwrecks work. <laughs> no. So you, okay, you guys are in the life raft and I'm sinking on the boat. But you as you- Paddling away furiously. As you float off into the sea and wait to be rescued, as you look back at me standing on the deck of my sinking ship, are you yelling at the boat, 
Doug, Steve has a point. Nathan, does Steve have a point? Yeah, Steve, Steve definitely has a point. Although, again, we are going to talk tonight about we're, – we're still kind of speaking this into existence a little bit. Like, could this be the greatest season in Ohio State history? So we're at least giving some credence to this thought that Ryan Day had that we all did kind of immediately dismissed. Stephen, what do you think? Did I contradict myself by dismissing something and then seizing it as a, my own point the next day? Yes and no. I think – I mean, yes, because you clearly just took his words, but the way you're using it and the way he's using it isn't the same. He probably would have thought this was a once-in-a-lifetime season even if we were living in a normal situation and they did play Oregon and get to do all those things. You have some context to it, so I'll give you that. At least yours has some context to it that Ryan Days did doesn't necessarily have all right driz i see driz out there with his hand raised i think i unmuted you driz what do you think am i am i being inconsistent here what do you think of the idea of ohio state having a chance at its greatest season ever i think offensively this offense is going to be second to none especially if the running game can start going defensively though we just lost chase young and jeff okuda i don't see how our defense comes close to last year's and for that reason, I don't think this is going to be a complete team, and I don't think this will be the greatest team ever. So I think Driz makes an interesting point. And, Nathan, that, that's a little bit of what I reacted to in the moment of Ryan Day saying this is a once-in-a-lifetime team. It's sort of like this is a once-in-a-lifetime team. I'm not sure it's as good as last year's team. So, you know, like I do think when I responded to Steve on the text, I made a great uh, difference between talent and opportunity. And I felt like what Ryan Day was talking about is like, this is a once in a lifetime team. To me, that's more about talent. Like I'm looking out at these players and I'm thinking, oh, these guys. And that I disagree with. And that's the point that I think we all made. I'm like, listen, this is life at Ohio State. You have great players all the time. But what I want to get into on this podcast is once in a lifetime, possibly opportunity. Nathan, do you believe there's a distinction there? Or am I looking for a distinction to cover my own butt, my own contradicting butt. I don't discount that that's what's happening in your head. That's very possible. That's why you're saying it. I will say, though, I think it's both. I think, as we'll talk about, like when I came up with kind of my factors as to what makes a -a once-in-a-lifetime team, I think it's both the talent on a roster and some other factors, including opportunity, including the path that you take to get there, including who's in front of you, and including kind of just – well, sort of like the X factor of what they've dealt with this year. All right, let's go to Adam King. Adam, I'm unmuting you. If you also want to unmute yourself, what do you think about this idea of, of what's ahead possibly for this team? Well, I think, and I think you might have touched on this the last time this came up, but it's, it's kind of easy to say it's going to be one of the greatest teams in Ohio State history because they have arguably the greatest quarterback in Ohio State. And I think that's where everything always goes back to. And you talk about defense, Trizzy did. I mean, Defense hasn't looked great in college football so far. This team could still be one of the best teams in history, even if it just brought a defense that wasn't, you know, was half of what last year's was, in my opinion, just because I don't think defense means as much, especially in a season like this. Adam, I think that's a great point. And, and Stephen, I want to get you on this because, you know, for everybody out there listening, we did have a chance on Tuesday to talk with Justin Fields, Corey Dennis, the quarterback's coach, and Ryan Day. And Stephen, Ryan Day was getting asked a lot of questions about Justin Fields, their relationship, how special he is. Do you, what kind of vibe do you continue to get 
from Ryan Day about what he thinks Justin Fields could be as a player and what kind of season could be out there for him. I think in a world where Ryan Day is trying to make Ohio State QBU, Justin Fields is the best quarterback he's going to have just based off of talent. And Dima makes up, brings up a good point in the chat. There's a difference between greatest team ever and greatest season ever. I think what Ohio State has an opportunity to do with the talent at quarterback, the talent in the wide receiver room, the talent on defense, even if it hasn't shown anything yet, the offensive line to have the greatest season ever just statistically. Obviously, you put it in perspective to the fact that you're not going to be able to play 15 games, but that doesn't necessarily show, okay, this is the greatest team ever because, look, they had Chase or they had Jeff Okuda or it had Troy Smith as the quarterback or, you know, Ted Ginn Jr., whatever. That's a different conversation versus when you look at the talent on this team and what Ryan Day can do with quarterbacks, they might statistically be able to put the best season ever together. All right, so Nathan, in the name of covering my butt with distinctions, great point by Dima. Thank you. Look at people, texters coming to the defense of my own irrationality and inconsistency. Nathan, that is a fascinating idea that Stephen really helped clarify there the difference between greatest team ever and greatest season ever. Is that a distinction that's going to bail me out of this? Yeah, 100%. And that's where I think there is a bigger difference. If you're talking about greatest team ever, I don't know that these other circumstances are involved as much. That really is more relative to your roster, your coaching staff, and the talent and, and what they get out of it. I think when you start talking about season – then it is, it, it's about those circumstances. The circumstances become part of it. Who was in front of you? How, what path did you have to take to get there? All of those things become more part of the season than just the team. You, you, you know, we can talk about where last year's team ranks in terms of greatest talent ever assembled at Ohio State, and it's going to be higher than teams that actually maybe even won a national championship and things like that just because of just the pure talent that was on the roster. And again, they haven't done it yet. I mean, we're just saying, you know, they have a chance to do it. And, that's what and, I said last year. Not, not no, this year. I know. That, that's what I'm saying. But it's like, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. It's like, well, yeah. all they have to do to have the greatest season ever is do these. I have five things on my list. So last year's team, I would, you know, if they had won, if they had beaten Clemson and then beaten the Joe Burrow high fly and LSU team, you would have been able to make an argument that that was the greatest season ever, right? So that's just what we're saying. I don't know that. For as good as Ohio State is, and, and, and as much as we have accepted the fact that there are no down seasons anymore, that you don't build to anything, you just are, it still doesn't mean that every single year you go in saying, well, this could be the greatest season ever, because I think there are things that have to be in place. Harold, you, you, do you understand some of the distinctions we're making, and does this conversation make sense to you at all, or is this, are we getting too far ahead of ourselves? Uh, I don't understand anything, Doug. But I would like to thank you three for your work uh, to open. And, and Doug, I will say your analysis of college football is the best and your sense of creating inflammatory subjects for us to argue about is great. Nathan and Stephen, your ability to tolerate Doug's behavior to me is excellent. So thank you for doing that. You know, the great thing about college football to me is that we, we all start off undefeated, right? So we all have this fantasy of the greatest season ever. The thing that worries me about this season is that it's different, right? And it's different for obvious reasons. The, of course, the pandemic we've talked about, right? And you guys have beat, you guys have beat to death, no offense, but we're, we're tired of talking about it. But it's different. And you can see it, you know, when you watch the interview with Coach, uh, Coach Day, you can see that life is different. And if you ask Texas if they would start off with two losses in the first few weeks, or if you ask Oklahoma, or if you ask LSU if they would have lost to, uh, what, Mississippi State, 
There's no way anybody would have imagined this stuff. And so what I worry about are all these things we can't control. Now, can we tame them in our favor? Maybe, I don't know. But I think the biggest probability is that we get bit in the ass at some point. I don't know if I can say ass. I just said ass. But uh, I say it twice, but not at once. Some point, right? Let me check with the editor. Thank you. Can he, can he say that? You can say it. Yeah, but, you know, we're going to get – I'm afraid we're going to get bit, which is going to screw up the greatest season. And the, and the distinction between greatest team and greatest season is, is important here because I don't think it's the greatest team. But it could be the greatest season, right? We're undefeated. I, I will say, again, I have my list of five things. What you are talking about there, Harold, with this pandemic, I think can go either way. And I think there is a way where that could actually contribute to the case that this is the greatest season ever. Because I, I, I'll tease a little bit. My number five on my list of things is context. And I think that can be many different things. But to me, it's a thing that you say, it's not a player, it's, it, but it's a thing that you would reference to say, oh, that season, right? So that if you say, holy Buckeye, right? That takes you right back to that championship season. And that, to, that, that kind of thing matters to me. If you say... Ezekiel Elliott's run against Alabama. It takes you right back to that season. If you say super softs, it takes you bang. You're right there. And that you can boil down a whole season into an idea. And I think if all of this, you know, if everything else happens, at the end of the day, you would look at this season and say COVID. And you would know exactly what this season was and the fight to even get to play this season. And then the fight to get through this season. I think you are, here we are as we sit 10 days from the start of the season, Harold. I think you're exactly right to wonder about it. But if they get to the other side of it and everything, and they max out everything, I think it adds to it because it's, it's so unique. It's a once in a hundred years pandemic, fingers crossed. My God, if there's another one of these in like six years or something, I'm out. We all are, not like me. Oh, don't have a pandemic. Doug's tired of being in his house. I get it. It's a whole world thing. We'll fix it. They get a vaccine. Smart people making vaccines. But I think actually, Harold, I think you make great points, but I think it might come back around on that. Brandon, let's go to Brandon. Where do you think about this idea, Brandon, of what could be out there for this team? I think this team's different because of the drive. I think Ryan Day saw that early on. And I think that's what he meant when he said this could be one of the greatest seasons or teams of all time is obviously it's Ohio State. You're loaded with talent all across the board. But I think guys like Olave and Justin Fields are just pushing and pushing and pushing the limits of what they can be, maybe unlike the team did last year. I mean, we know how great Chase was, and he pushed the limit, and so did Okuda. But maybe it's just a whole collective effort of everyone giving everything they got to come back and be national champions this year. So, Brandon, the thing I want to ask you is, do you believe the way last year ended would contribute to this argument of how great this season could be? Because is what happened a year ago part of it? Absolutely, 100%. And that's why I think guys like um, Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis came back, Sean Wade, I think guys like that came back to come and complete that national championship and give everything they got, which not every year that happens. I don't think all players are built that way, but maybe this group is. Steven, do you believe that? Do you believe that, that uh, the context is affected by how they barely fell short and not just that they lost to Clemson, but the way they lost to Clemson last year? Yeah, especially if they end up playing Clemson in a national championship game and all the pieces that 
were most affected in that game, you know, show out basically. If Sean Wade gets out there and you know, he's clearly the best cornerback in that game and Chris Olave has five or six catches for 120 yards and two touchdowns, it's like – and Justin Fields outplays Trevor Lawrence clearly. And then it's, you know, when you look at how last season ended, all of those pieces came back and they – they were so motivated by it that they had the best game of their career in that game. So, yeah, that helps. All right. So I asked Nathan and Steven to sort of make a list of the things that would matter to them the most in having something that could be argued as the greatest season in Ohio State history. I have my list. And so what I'm going to do, I also, did I say the thing, by the way, when Harold started off by saying, I don't understand anything, Doug? Buckeye talk like that is that again, I mean, I, that was a t-shirt slogan that Harold dropped right on us. I don't understand anything. Buckeye, t- Doug, Buckeye talk. So thank you for that, Harold. But I uh, guys, everyone's making great points so far. I'll start with my list. I have in order the five things and I'll say mine in order. I'll start with my number one. And then you guys tell me where that was, if it was also on your list. Okay. So to me, if you're going to have the greatest season in Ohio State history and Adam and Alex, or well, I guess those hands aren't up anymore. I see some more hands that were up. If you want to put them up again, we'll get you guys in a second. A greatest, if you're going to have the greatest season in Ohio State history, number one, you got to beat Michigan. Like, I don't, I don't think you could have, I think you could win the national championship. And if you lost to Michigan somehow and got in the playoff back door and whatever, I, it would not be in the running. So on my list of things, what has to happen to argue that it's the greatest season in Ohio State history. That's number one on my list. Nathan, is that – now, you know, there's some other things on that list that are like, well, yeah, if you did those other things, beating Michigan is part of that. But I think beating Michigan deserves its own line. That's my number one thing, and it has happened 52 times. So then you have – okay, there's a 52 seasons that could you then could argue are – at least still alive. It's, if it's an elimination game that are still alive to be the greatest season in Ohio State history because they beat Michigan. Nathan, did you have that on your list and how do you think that fits in? I did, I did three things you need and three things that might stand in the way of this year's team. And I didn't single that thing out almost because though what you're talking about, I, maybe I just eliminated the things that were so obvious. Like I think that you'd have to have an undefeated team in order to have the greatest season of all time, I believe in Ohio State history, so that would obviously mean beating Michigan, too. So I had kind of just moved past that to make my list. Steven, did you have something Michigan-related on your list? No, I didn't get that, that specific. I just said undefeated national champions, which, I mean, you can't be undefeated if you lost to Michigan. So I looked at it more from that standpoint than you have to beat Michigan because that just kind of comes with the territory. It does, but – I, I mean, I, I, I respect, yeah, I, so maybe it's one of those things that just needs to be said, but – I just didn't feel that way. On my list of things, when it's so obvious and there's some other things that also need to come into play that are more of a national perspective, you know, beating your rival again just kind of falls into a category of something else, which maybe it shouldn't, but that maybe shows where the rivalry is right now. Yeah, I'm not going to take it for granted. I'll have it as a separate thing, that it starts there, that it stares there. So then, so I, so it's like, Stephen, Stephen does this sometimes. It's like, what is your list of things? And Stephen is like, undefeated national championship, win all your games by 50 points. That's my list. And it's like, well, that's like nine things. And in, in, it's not a list. You said 11 things in one sentence. And then all I said was undefeated national champions. That's not it's like all of my list. It's like the whole, it's like that's a lofty like, goal. It's like, there was, it's like, I wanted to have a, a 45 minute discussion, breaking undefeated national champions into like 11 different categories. And Steve was like, I don't know when all your games would be the best team. Oh, okay. Thanks for joining us on Buckeye talk. 
So number two on my list is win the national championship, right? Which I guess is obvious. Am I, am I being too yeah, right in front of my face? Yeah. Like those, those things, like, I, I don't know how, how could you argue that the greatest team in Ohio State history existed if it didn't win a national championship after this program's yeah. already won multiple national championships? Well, just because it has to be an obvious thing doesn't mean, listen, I'll tell you what, if I in my career didn't state the obvious thing, I'd have nothing to say. So it's like, this is where I am. Beat Michigan, win the national championship. Those are two of the things. If you are guys are assuming that, then I guess, I guess the discussion is going to go off in a different direction. So I'll say, so my number three thing was be undefeated. Is that like, is that, that's different than national championship, but they've played like for more. So here's the thing. And then we're going to drill down a little bit at the end because my four and five are a little more specific. So they have six national, they have eight national championships, but two of them are fake. So they've only won six national championships, not only. But do you guys know how many of the national championships of those six national championships, they were undefeated? Well, we know that 2014 was not. 2002 was. Um, I'm guessing you're going to educate us on the other ones. Yeah, I am. Three times. So there's only been three undefeated national champions in Ohio State history. In 1954, they were 10-0. and 0. In 1968, they were 10-0. and 0. And in 2002, they were 14-0. and 0. So while it might be obvious that, like, well, of course, you've got to be an undefeated national champion that beats Michigan. It's like, well, there's only three of those. So, I mean, I guess it's obvious, but it's still so hard, I'm going to say it. Because I think, really, if you're talking about greatest season ever, I mean, that kind of takes, like, 14 off the table a little bit, right? At least in that mix. It's not quite as good as 68. It's not quite as good as 0-2 because you had a loss. You fought back from the loss. If someone wants to make an argument, yeah, you can lose and still have it be one of the greatest seasons ever. I'll hear it. But, I mean, when we're starting from scratch, when you start from scratch, you're looking for it. Perfection would be part of it. So those are three of my beat Michigan, win the national championship, and be undefeated. And now we get, we're drilling down. This is going too fast. It'd be like it's a 38-minute well, podcast. Which, I but, think it's just – it's just a matter of like those things have already existed in Ohio State history. So this team would do those same things, but what elements would then set this team apart from those other ones that have already gone undefeated, won a national championship and beat Michigan? Okay, so mine is the prelude. My whole list is a prelude, as a parenthesis, an understood parenthetical expression in front of your list. The no duh, Doug. <laughs> okay. The no duh, duh, Doug is my whole list. Nathan, tell me something else that was on your list. Uh, generational players. And this doesn't have to be a whole team, but it just has to be something, something from this roster, from this team, from that, that gives this team its identity. And this team has that, obviously, in Justin Fields. It, it, this, this, he could emerge as or end up as potentially the as, – as I can't remember who it was said earlier, maybe the best quarterback in the history of Ohio State. And that kind of is, is a stamp, an important stamp, that a team then gets to wear – if it ultimately also wins a national championship, because then you're an undefeated national championship, even because then that's something that when you start comparing those teams against other great Ohio state teams, you can always say, yeah, well, they were both great, both undefeated national championships, but this one had the greatest quarterback in Ohio state history. This one had the greatest defense in Ohio state history. This one had um, a running back, unlike anything Ohio state's ever seen. Those kind of things maybe set a great team apart from other great teams. Steven, did you, what's something you had on your list? In, in thinking about what would go into the greatest season ever for Ohio State. Who'd you have to go through to get it? And the, what makes the 2014 one special? You had to go through Alabama to win the national championship and you beat them in the semifinal. What makes 2002 special? 
you beat Miami, who had been dominating college football for the last two decades, basically. So if Ohio State has to go through Clemson and Alabama, who have been the clear number one and one A and one B teams of the past decade, if they have to go through them to win a national championship, it makes it that much sweeter. So that's I don't have an order, but that's on my order of things, my list of things of you know what makes this team what makes this the greatest season is who you had to go through to win it. Adam, I'm going to unmute you again. Fire away with what you think also might go, uh, go into this discussion. Um, well, my kind of thought was right off of what Steven just said when it comes to like, I don't know, what happens throughout the season and who you play. Like, I think if you think of this as the greatest season in Ohio State history, I think a lot of fans right now would say it needs to go through Trevor Lawrence and Clemson. And I think, you know, a, a national title game where Ohio State kind of gets to avenge what happened last year which like you said is is kind of another part that builds on the fact that you've got to have that fire under a team for the reason for it to be special like 2015 was a great team but it almost felt like well we expect them to be good so my my number five was was context which is just like I had a big wide umbrella and then you guys are like all context so I absolutely think that's important and again like 68 now, the one thing is, it's hard sometimes to compare eras because, like, well, now they're going to play a two-game playoff. I mean, how often, how often have they done that? That's only recent. You know, in 68, as we covered on the Retalkables last week, they drub Michigan in just a game that Ohio State fans will remember forever. And then they do get to go on, and they beat O.J. Simpson, the Heisman winner in the Rose Bowl. So that's a pretty cool thing, right? But I, I do think – and we've talk, we talked about this a little bit in the other podcast, but, but Stephen, you brought it up. If Ohio State beats oh, – we all said Florida was going to make the playoff, then Florida lost. If Ohio, if Ohio State beats Georgia and Oklahoma State to win the national championship, is there a way that this still could be the greatest season in Ohio State history? Or would that be like, no. That, it's the same Ohio State team, but it can't be the greatest season because of who they went through. No. I mean, it, fans will celebrate it because it's a national championship, but no – because part of when you're having these discussions of who's the greatest and whatever is the storyline of it. And that's just not as interesting of a story as it would be if they went through the team who ruined their season last year, or they go through Alabama. That, that's just a more interesting narrative to tell. That's when you're talking about greatest things ever, it, the story matters. And the story of, well, you beat Georgia who we knew they were better than, or we beat Florida who we knew they were better. And it's a great national championship, but it's not, you didn't beat Miami or and it wasn't beating Miami in 2002 or, you know, beating Alabama in 2015 worthy. Nathan, how important do you think this part of it is who you go through in the end? It was important enough that it was one of the things on my list. I said, you, you it's it, beating a nemesis, I think has to go in there. And it doesn't have to be like what Ohio state currently experiences with Clemson. If there wasn't necessarily a team that they had that national relationship with now, the kind of the, Got the team that's kind of holding them down a little bit, I think there could still be something, whether that's if, if the Michigan series were more back and forth right now and they had to win that game, kind of as you were saying, or um, just some other some other national plateau that they had to reach. But, but right now it is embodied by Clemson. I think that is the team. I think in order for this team to, to put it all together and make that argument that they're the greatest Ohio State football team ever, I think you'd have to knock off Clemson. I think Clemson right now, and, and Alabama is obviously right there too, but Clemson even more so directly related to Ohio State and Ohio State football history, this era of Ohio State football history. That I think that's a team you would maybe have to get past in some capacity in order to win this. I think it would almost, in a weird way, 
this could be is it, there's more potential for this to be the greatest season in Ohio State history if they get the two or the three seed for the playoff instead of the one, because mm. you're going to have to beat two really good teams instead of what hap- you know what they've what what could happen like what happened with Clemson last year or LSU last year, which you could have said about last year as well. If they would have beaten Clemson and then beaten LSU, then we'd be having that conversation about 2019. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Because we saw – because that LSU team was as good as we've seen in recent years, especially offensively, and they had the Heisman winner. And, and then also, again, sort of what I said early on, there's that, that thing, right, the extra thing. And, like, beating Joe Burrow, your former backup quarterback, who now won the Heisman, and you have to go through him in the national championship game, that would have been it, right? Like, that would have added to that the way that I do think this weird, the fall season's canceled, no, they got it back, I think would add to this. I'd like to see some some hands raised here in the Zoom. Your thoughts on whether, how important you think it would be to this discussion of greatest season ever for it to go through Alabama and Clemson. And then if you think it's important, I think really we drill down on this question. If you're an Ohio State fan, and we talked about this on previous podcasts, do you want the one seed so that Clemson and Alabama have to play each other in a semifinal so your path is a little easier? And we know, I mean, I know other things might happen. But the point is, would you rather, in the name of history, play both Alabama and Clemson in the playoff or in the name of, you know, making things a little easier on yourself, would you rather have them play each other so you only have to play one of them? Because I do think, you know, it's like you're shooting for the moon here. You, want to, you don't want to put the cart before the horse. You want to win. It's going to be harder to go through both. But, man, like, Nathan, like, that's what's, that's what's sitting there. There's a part of me that would say, man, like, I, I, I kind of want to see both. I kind of want to see him play both because I'd be fascinated to see how it would unfold, even though certainly I think it would be tougher. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who for sure those two and three are going to be. I think Clemson will be a top three seed. I think Ohio State will be a three seed. And then what we're seeing right now with Alabama and Georgia, that'll work itself out starting this Saturday. So um, I know right now the four seed seems like quite a drop, unless it's one of those two teams. I guess that that's out there. Um, but I just think, like, the more great teams you have to play, the more you get to make the argument that you're the greatest Ohio State team of all time. And they don't get – they didn't get the Oregon game in the regular season. They have even one less – conference game that they're playing they don't you know Iowa would have been probably an adequate team this year that's one last game you're playing even in the regular season you just have less like game by game ammunition I think you've got to make it up a little bit in the playoff and if they have to play both Clemson and Alabama I mean that's kind of the thing also that's missing from 2014 a little bit right like maybe if they'd had a different semifinal and you beat Alabama in the national championship I think even that little bit changes the perspective of that season it's weird. We talk about this a lot that it's sort of like the 1980 U.S. hockey team. They beat the yeah. Russians in the semifinals. And then it's like, do people even remember who they played in the final for the gold medal? They played Finland. Nobody talks about beating Finland. You talk about getting through the Russians. So you got through Bama and then it was like, oh yeah, who was here? Now the one thing about 14 was like, well, who was there? Well, the Heisman Trophy winner was there, even though it wasn't, you know, I mean, yeah. Oregon's a really good national program. It's not quite that. The, the thing, Ben makes a point here uh, in the chat it looks sexier going through Clemson and Alabama, but a title is a title. And like, yeah, I mean, no one's not going to take the title. It's one of those things. But again, if you're, if you're talking about greatest season ever, you got to have a little sexy Buckeye talk. You got to have a little sexy there. Janine had to say this in the chat. You have to beat Clemson. 
Bama doesn't resonate because they whooped them last time. And I think that is a very interesting point. And Stephen, I'll get to you on this as you nod your head. Clemson and Bama are in very different situations here. Clemson is a national power, a new national power that is your nemesis because you haven't beaten them yet. Alabama is like the, the, the villain that you vanquished. You did vanquish them, but then they went back in their cave and they like, you know, they, they patched up their wound and they ate some more, like, you know, I don't know, they ate some goats or whatever and they got stronger and now they're coming back out of the cave. And so it's that Clemson, to play Clemson, that's about Ohio State Clemson. To beat Bama on this path would be, that's Saban. That's a dynasty. That's the greatest college football coach ever. You beat them once, do it again. So I would argue, yes, I would put Clemson ahead of Alabama on the list of what would be the most special thing for Ohio State to do on this path. But I would, having Bama thrown in there, not because of the head-to-head, but because what Bama is in this era I think still would be absolutely dynamic. What do you think of that comparison, Stephen? Bama is the cherry on top. Clemson is the thing Ohio State fans want. It's just that, I mean, they've lost three times in, uh, in the last four, six years here. That, that's what fans want at this point. And it's similar with it. They wanted Bama. They wanted to prove that the big, bad SEC wasn't that big and bad. And they went down there and they whipped their butts. That's exactly what they want for Clemson this time around. They want to prove that Clemson isn't as good as, they, as people think they are. They, they don't like Dabo because, I mean, because everybody thinks Dabo is full of it. But I, Clemson is exactly what Alabama was to Ohio State in that 2014-15 season. And so that's why, regardless of what happens with Bama, I feel like if they only have to go through one of those two, they want to, fans want to go through Clemson. And I think the Ohio State, want, the players want that too. The Alabama thing in 2014, I know I wasn't here, but it just from – my understanding of it, 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 it was more existential, right? It was, you know, you're having to get through them to say that you truly were on that level. The Clemson thing is personal. Like mm-hmm. they're, they've been beating them head to head. They were what cost you a chance at a national championship last year. They're who embarrassed you in 2016. Like this is, it's personal. Like they're, they're thumping you head to head. That's, that's why I think the, the Clemson would have even more meaning for this team and something that it could then apply to this kind of, you know, century long argument about, about the greatest team. Can Clemson you, has become everything that Ohio State was. We thought Ohio State would be after they won a national championship, right? As we've said, right? Clemson stole Ohio State's spot in the national landscape. Nathan, will you please save that line for if and when Ohio State beats Alabama in the semifinal to set up a national championship match with Clemson? Defeating Alabama, Alabama was an existential threat. Defeating. Clemson is personal. I think that's a great way to say it because as you said, you weren't here, but you hit that right. That was more about like the SEC, right? That Alabama as a representation of the SEC, hey, everybody makes fun of the Big Ten. Nobody thinks the Big Ten is as good as the SEC. Now there was a little personal because Urban had been in the SEC. Urban had played Saban head-to-head multiple times. So that was personal. But for Ohio State, it it was what Alabama represented as a whole. With Clemson, it is. It's personal. I want to get to what Jock had to say. Yes, a title is a title, but they would need to beat both of them for this to be regarded as the best season or team ever. Um, Adam has to say you have to beat a good opponent to make it the best season ever, but I would much rather have played Oklahoma as the one seed last year and gone on to play LSU in the title and how the season ended. So that is the great thing. It's like, the easier path is easier. The harder path is more historic. Harold says, don't forget that Clemson um, got the Woodman can, right, with their evil interception. That's another thing. So it's the three recent losses 
Plus, the very first time they ever played was the last game that Woody Hayes coached, which is all we talked about when they played in the Orange Bowl after the 2013 season, right when Clemson was just starting to be Clemson, and then they became this thing. They are our arch enemies with malice, Harold says. All right, if you want to interact live, you can raise your hand. And I can unmute you and I can call on you and you can talk live to us. If you want to drop stuff in the chat, that's great. I do have some previous questions from texters that I gathered before we got in here. But we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to bring up a point. Again, it's an obvious point, but I'm not 100% sure if everybody realizes the deal with my obvious point that was the last thing on my personal list of what could make this the best season in Ohio State football history. We'll be right back with our live Zoom room on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. This was number four on my list. And again, it's like, great list, Doug. Win your games. Be good. Have talent. Have the Heisman winner was the other thing on my list. So that's at least slightly less obvious than everything else on my list. Steven, you gave me the finger point. Was that on your list? Yeah, but it was a little deeper than that. Have, have multiple award winners, I think. That's what made – I mean, part of what made LSU special last year. Yes, Joe Burrow won the Heisman, but Jamar Chase was also the Blitlikoff winner. Grant Delpit was also the Thorpe Award winner. That offensive line had the award for the best offensive line in the country. It was all these different things going on around the fact that if Justin Fields win the, wins the Heisman and Wyatt Davis wins the Outland Award and – Josh Myers wins the Remington and Sean Wade wins the Thorpe Award or somebody wins the Bullet Lacoff or something or the Butkus Award. That, that adds to it because then not only are you doing it, not only do you have the story, but you also have the on the field production and the awards to kind of back that up. And it just adds more to your case when you're making the argument against these other national championships. I know what you're saying there, but also nobody cares about the Bulletnikoff Award. So I think like having the Heisman winner is like so much more important that I just, I wouldn't like if, if Justin Fields wins the Heisman and they do all this other stuff, but like they don't have a Thorpe award winner or a Remington award winner or an Outland award winner or a Boletnikoff award winner. Like I won't care. I don't know. Nathan, how did, how did you factor Heisman stuff into any of this? Like I said, I, I included the generational players on my list. And I think last year is the example that I would maybe use to refute what you're saying, just because if Ohio State had beaten Clemson last year and then gone on and beat that LSU team last year, we'd be have been talking about that team as maybe the greatest team in the history of Ohio State football. They would have done it without a Heisman Trophy winner. They would have had two finalists, including one on defense, which is kind of unheard of. And that would have maybe spoken more to the, co- the collective greatness of that team, both sides of the ball. So I think you can do it without actually having the Heisman winner. I think it, it, it's, it, it, it's circumstantial too, but, but the Heisman winner is also decided before the playoffs. If they picked it after the playoffs, it would also that might change the vote sometimes. If this year, especially this year, especially this year, we're talking about this team, who knows what the Heisman voting is going to look like because of the crazy when teams are starting and when teams aren't and how it catches up and, and who's paying attention to what. I, I don't know. I, I would take that, especially the circumstance of this season, I might take the importance of the Heisman off the list altogether. So do you guys know how many times Ohio State has had the Heisman winner in the season when they won a national championship? One. I'm pretty sure it's zero, right? Zero. Yeah, because Troy would have been the first if he, they would have not gotten, blow, gotten their butts whipped. Janine chimed in with zero. 
So that to me would really be quite a check mark on the list, on the argument of this being the greatest season ever. Um, let's, let's run through first the national championship seasons. 1942, they win the national championship. Their highest Heisman vote getter is Gene Feckety, finishes eighth. 1954, they win the national championship at 10 and 0. Hop Cassidy is third. Now he wins it the next year in 55, but in 54, he was third. 1957, they go nine and one. They win the national championship. Don't have a top 10 finisher in the Heisman. 1961, which is one of the fake titles, Bob Ferguson finished second in the Heisman race. They were eight and one. It's not, they count it. It's, it's one of those titles. It's not, it's not really a title, but some, some bunch of jabokes gave him a title, so they count it. 68, the great super softs of 1968, 10 and 0, nobody in the top 10. But they beat OJ in the Rose Bowl. He won it. Leroy, what's his name? Is it Leroy Keyes or Leroy Kelly? Who's the Purdue Leroy guy, Keys Nathan? From Purdue, Leroy Keyes. Le- Leroy Keyes from Purdue finishes second. They beat them during the regular season. Ron Johnson from Michigan, who we watched in the 68 Retalkables, he finished sixth. They beat him. So they did not have a top 10 finisher, but they beat three of the top six on the way to winning it all. 1970, kind of like another fake one. Um, Rex Kern finishes fifth. So that's 1970. That's the season that, again, they didn't, they have, it's just like a, it's not really a title. It doesn't really count. 2002, nobody in the top 10. And 2014, JT Barrett finishes fifth. So 2014, fifth. So the, 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 they've had a second place, a third place, two fifth place, and an eighth place in the national title years. And now let's run through the Heisman winners, do it the other way. 1944, Les Horvath, they finished second in the final AP poll. 1950, Vic Janowitz wins the Heisman. They finish 14th, final Heisman poll. 1955, the year after the national championship, Hop Cassidy wins the Heisman. They finish fifth. Archie Griffin, when he wins it in 74 and 75, they finish fourth in the final AP poll both of those years. Eddie George, 1995, they finish sixth in the final AP poll. And of course, as Stephen mentioned in 2006, Troy Smith wins the Heisman. They lose the national championship game and finish second in the final AP poll. Now, There have been 16 players, according to the Heisman website, and I saw somewhere else that had a couple more, but the official Heisman website wrote about this last year as Joe Burrow got ready to do it. 16 players have won the Heisman Trophy and the national championship in the same year. And nine of them were quarterbacks. So to run through this quickly, because we want to put this down. We want people to realize, like, what what is out there? What's at stake? What's possible? Joe Burrow did it last year. 2015, Derrick Henry, the Alabama running back. 2013, Jameis Winston at Florida State. 2010, Cam Newton in Auburn. 2009, Mark Ingram, the running back at Alabama. 2004, uh, Matt Leinart at USC at quarterback. 1997, Charles Woodson at Michigan. 1996, Danny Werfel, the quarterback for Florida. 1993, Charlie Ward, the quarterback for Florida State. 1976, Tony Dorsett at running back for Pitt. And then like a bunch of old guys. So what does that say? So that's partly Justin's season in addition to Ohio State season. But the fact that that's never happened at Ohio State, Nathan, that they've never won a national championship with the Heisman winner. I get what you're saying, and you're right. Justin and Chase both got to New York. If they would have beaten Joe Burrow last year and finished an undefeated season where they were blowing people off the field all year, I'm not sure I'd be sitting here saying, yeah, but Justin didn't win the Heisman. So you're right. Wouldn't that be something, though, Nathan? That'd be something, wouldn't it? 
I think it's certainly something to then get to say that team had the Heisman Trophy winner. But I would say that 1968 is a great example of why it, it – I don't know that it's a, a critical thing in deciding what is the greatest team simply because you, you can't control the fact that USC is going to have this, like, a true once-in-a-lifetime talent at running back who just goes in and runs a rough shot over college football that year and obviously deserved the Heisman Trophy that season – and it doesn't take anything away from the greatness of that Ohio State team that that player wasn't on their team. In fact, they, it, you can almost say, does it enhance how great a team is if it then goes head-to-head against a, te- a player of that caliber and beats him? And that's, again, that kind of goes back into the Clemson thing. If Trevor Lawrence beats Justin Fields out for the Heisman Trophy, but then Justin Fields goes head-to-head and beats Trevor Lawrence and route to a national championship, I think that in a way is just as much of an argument about the greatness of this team as if Fields won the Heisman Trophy himself. And again, that's part of what in 14, they went through three, two, and one in the Heisman race. They went through the three Heisman finalists and Melvin Gordon, Amari Cooper, and Marcus Mariota on the way to winning it all. And then if it was like, if you could have, if you would have sat down after the season and been like, anybody want to revote the Heisman? People would have been like, ah, can I put Ezekiel Elliott in? Can I put Joey Bosa in? You know, so that might've happened. Jalen in the chat says last year, if we would have won it all, we had three of the top six Heisman vote getters because J.K. Dobbins finished sixth including a defensive player that that from a team aspect is better than having the Heisman winner. So I think Jalen makes a good point there, but I still, I'm going to hold out that joining that list and having Justin Fields join the Joe Burrow, Jameis Winston, Cam Newton, Matt Leiner. I mean, if you could, Danny Werfel, I mean, if Justin Fields could reach and be on the same level as Danny Werfel, I mean, what would be better than that? But, Stephen, I still think the, uh, the Heisman would add mm, quite a bit of punch to this year. It's a, it's a point. I think, to Nathan's point as well, it's either you have the generational Heisman Trophy winner or you went through the generational Heisman Trophy winner to get your national championship. I think both, <clears throat> have their, both are a, a solid point to have, especially 2019. You didn't have it, but you had two Heisman finalists and you would have went through the generational Heisman Trophy winner and Joe Burrow in order to do it. So – I, I see where Nathan's coming for, from both sides work. I think when you're trying to make the point, both sides can work, if that's the case. Kenny Stabler in the chat says, 2006 was possible to be in this discussion. Uh, they played three number one versus number two games because they played Texas early on, then they played the historic Michigan game, and then, of course, they played the national championship game with Florida. They had the Heisman winner in Troy. They had the top receiver in the game with Ted Ginn Jr. They have James Laurinaitis as a top linebacker. Malcolm Jenkins as a DB, won the Thorpe. And they dominated through most of the season. The only real close game was Illinois before the Michigan game. I think that's a great point, which is, again, I mean, you got to finish it off in the end. I mean, like now, no, 2006 is not in the discussion because they got their doors blown off in the national title game. But that's the kind of thing you could see that coming a little bit. They're, in 2006, they're number one in the preseason, right? Michigan's also good. You know, Adrian Peterson gets hurt, and all of a sudden, Troy is like the obvious Heisman finalist. Laurinaitis comes on the scene. There are a lot of things that did sort of come together in 2006. And listen, it's one of these things. It's like every time you win a national title, that stuff comes together. You don't backdoor your way into the national title. So I, we're, 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 we're slicing the little thin here to some degree of like, well, you know, if they could do this, then they would be better than 1954. But if they don't do this, they wouldn't be. I do think that the, that Clemson and Alabama are out there as two rivals that you could go through. I think it's very important. And then I'll get to my other context thing here, which is sort of what I brought up at the top. It's a crazy year. It's a year in America. It's a year in world history 
that people are never going to forget. And everything's affected for good, not for not very little for good. Everything's screwed up. So if you come through the screwed up year, I think that adds something to it. Like Nathan, as we think about this, that to me is, is even more why it's possible because their season was canceled. They got it back. There's all this stuff going on. It, it could be that COVID ruins this season. And we can talk about that a little bit later. We see what's happening at Florida now with their activities being paused. We see other stuff going on. COVID may prevent any of this from happening for anybody. But if they get through it in the face of that, I think it adds to it. Nathan, how does COVID factor into this from a historic perspective? Yeah, I had X factor on my list. And just in this case, that happens to be what it is. It's a, you know, a season that almost didn't happen. A season where Ohio State took a prominent role in pushing to have the season ever come to fruition and then played an integral role in, in helping that happen. Justin Fields himself was kind of out in front, was, was sort of a face of the moment for a little bit and trying to get it to happen. Um, you, can, you can make this – you can take this and apply it to other teams. Like last year with LSU where they had kind of just this team of destiny thing that started to build. And I don't know, you can take it to other teams – in the past too, and probably find something. But I think there's always like that one like signature thing for every year. Um, when you're just, when you're just great and then you, you do great things. I, I, I think sometimes it, it's probably not fair, but history maybe overlooks those, those teams a little bit, you know, Alabama just shows up and they win 15 games and they, they were supposed to, and then they go home. Like uh, not, that doesn't really set them apart, but here's this Ohio state's the 2020 circumstances have a opportunity to maybe set this team apart if it perseveres through them and ultimately wins a national championship. It is a little bit of a weird thing. I was thinking, again, we're not Alabama experts, but part of this is that it's almost maybe a shorthand that any college football fan would understand. I have, I cannot tell the Bama titles apart. I have no idea which one was Derek Henry and which one was Mark Ingram and which one was AJ McCarron and which one was Greg McElroy and which one was like, right. I mean, I get, so like, the Tua, Tua comes in at halftime. That one I know, right? Because right. that's like a thing that happened. So part of this, but, and, and then like LSU, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to like blame Bama. It's like, way to go, way to be too good, Bama. We can't tell your titles apart. But like the Joe Burrow year, you say like the Joe Burrow year, where he was like, had the greatest season of any quarterback in history. And it's like, boom, you're right there with that, right? Even like Deshaun Watson knocking off Bama after losing to them the year before. And now Deshaun Watson. Did he win it, right? They won it, right, with the Sean Watson? Yeah. Yeah, right? See, I remember that. See, I have a terrible memory. So, like, that – You remembered that. I was – As I was you like, asked, really, did, as you asked, did Deshaun Watson win a national championship? I was way down the road on that. But, again, see, I mean, it, that, the problem is that there's people watching this live. There's, like, more than 30 people in here with us. Normally, I, I would just edit that out. I would just – you know, that's why I sound smarter when I'm not live. Is that – do I normally sound smarter than this? Or is this this? I always sound like this. He didn't win the Heisman though. So Deshaun Watson didn't win the Heisman. So that Clemson season isn't very good by my standards. So, but I, I, I just think, I just think there's, there's stuff here that it would distinguish it, right? That, that I do think, I do think it would distinguish it. And Nathan, you called it X factor. Is that what you I said? Call it, I call it X factor. I suppose you could call it adversity. Although I don't think that's necessarily the case. I don't know that LSU faced adversity last year, but I think you'd probably, you'd have to put that list, that team on any list of the great, maybe at the top of any of the greatest LSU teams in history. And I'm not a professor of, of LSU football history, but just the, the, like you say, the Joe Burrow thing, the, the way that team just kind of ascended and, and, and 
and took the moment and ran with it all season long, that, that is kind of an X factor. It's just it's something you kind of feel. Joseph in Atlanta says, I would like to win enough titles that we can't tell them apart. Seems like a good problem to have. Uh, and then Harold says, if the Buckeyes run the table, it will make for the greatest story ever told uh, sans Jesus. So, so that would be, that in order would be uh, birth of Christ, second, winning a national title in the COVID era. So again, I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about. Stephen, did you have a thing there, like an X, like how did you describe that? Did you have something that was like sort of this intangible other thing that matters? Or do you think that that, it, that, it, that, that matters less, that it's really about the players and the games and who you beat on the field? No, I, I, this is probably where I got the most vague and just saying, what's the narrative here? Um, and that's something that falls on, under that. What, what's the adversity? What's the storyline going into the playoff or going into the season? You know, what, what is the first thing that comes to your mind 30 years from now if they win the national championship? What's the first thing you think about when you think of Ohio State 2020, 2021 national championship? What comes to mind? And it's going to be the COVID situation and whether they were going to be able to have a season or not. Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields. If Justin wins the Heisman, it's going to be that whole storyline, the, the redemption story of Chris Olave and Sean Wade and such and such. I, what, that all kind of falls under the same umbrella for me of in 30 years, how, and somebody asks you to describe that Ohio State National Championship, how do you do it? Dennis says, surviving COVID is high on my list. How sweet would it be to see the trophy handoff from Kevin Warren? So that's like a, well, it's like, yeah, like some of the context is like, <laughs> the Randy Wade's going to like storm the stage and grab the trophy from Kevin Warren. Um, so if anybody, again, anybody in the live Zoom room with us, and these are our tech subscribers who are in here. They got in here by subscribing to our texts. Maybe there's some people who are on the free trial. Maybe there's some people who have been with us for 18 months. You text 614-350-3315 and you can get in on this. If you go in the participants list, I think you can hit raise hand in there. What, I, what I'm curious about now is we laid it out, right? And, and I'll get to Nathan and Steven if there's anything else that they have requirements that would need to be met for what would make for the greatest season in Ohio State history. Now I want to know if you think it's feasible. Like, is this fantasy land kind of stuff? Or as we get ready for this opener on October 24th, is like this where your head's at? So if you hit raise hand, I'll call on you, I'll unmute you, and you can let us know like if this is actually how you're thinking about this year as we get ready for this. Nathan, is there anything else on your list or anything, any other factors that would go into maybe making this the greatest season ever? I just had the three, the generational players, the, the nemesis, and the, the X factor, and all those exist with this team. Steven, is there anything else we haven't covered on your list? Uh, maybe just somebody breaks a record or the team breaks a record at some point. I mean, we talked about Ohio State maybe averaging 50 points per game this season. I think it's going to be hard for Justin to pass Dwayne's passing touchdown record just because it's less games he's playing. But some, some, somebody does something record-breaking. You know? So while we wait for some hands – Nathan, how possible, possible, how possible do you think this is, Nathan? Well, like I said, they, I think they have all those underlying factors. However, I also had three things I think might stand in the way. And the first one of those is the, is the X factor, is COVID. I mean, we still don't know if this season will actually happen or can get played out to fruition, let alone how it might affect Ohio State at some point. We're seeing teams – still all over the country that are being affected by this. You know, Florida today 
shutting down because of because of tests. So um, I think that's still in the way. Um, I think questions about this defense are legitimate and could still be in the way. I think it's possible that we have um, undersold Ohio State's vulnerability, maybe especially against the run, especially early in season. And then the other thing just being, again, that nemesis I talked about is still there. Clemson's still a really damn good team. Alabama is still a really good team. It looks like Georgia might be a really good team. So that's the other thing that's, that still could spoil it is as great as your team is, they found this out last season, as great as that Ohio State team was, as great as that collection of talent was, they weren't better than Clemson that day, and that could still be in their way this year. Joseph in Atlanta, saw your hand up. I unmuted you. Go ahead with your thoughts on this. I think it's definitely on the table. I mean, if you look at everything, everything you guys were talking about is on is out there. They've got potentially Justin Fields, even if he doesn't, you know, finish his second in the Heisman or whatever, he's the best, possibly the most talented quarterback Ohio State's ever had. That's out there. You know, if they go 10 and 0, you know, or excuse me, 11 and 0, they'll go through Penn State and Michigan as always, but then they'll also probably just because they're playing fewer games in Clemson and Alabama, they're probably not getting that one seed. So they'd have to do, you know, an SEC team and then Clemson or vice versa. So, I mean, I think it's entirely possible. The only question, as Nathan said, is just, you know, are we going to get those 11 games or is it going to be that, hey, something goes massively wrong? And I don't really want to think too much about that because it's kind of depressing, but like that would be the one thing I think that could hold them back more than anything else. I think that's, I agree with everything Joseph said, because to me, it's the idea of, I really do think they're going to get through the big 10 schedule. And, and I really, I really do think they're going to be undefeated in their nine big 10 games. And I really do think they're going to get to the playoff. And I really do think Clemson and Alabama are also going to get to the playoff. And I also really do think that Ohio state's not going to be the one seed. So I think they're going to have to play both of them if they win that I like, uh, I do think everything's going to line up and that it's not crazy at all for it to line up. All they have to do then is win the two games, And then, you know, will Justin Fields win the Heisman for sure? I don't know. Again, we can get an argument of like, does that have to happen? That probably doesn't have to happen because if he doesn't win it, it's probably going to be somebody on Alabama or Clemson that does win it. So then you're beating them to avenge it. So I, I just think it is going to line up. And then it's a matter of, can they do it? Steven, like, are you, do you feel fairly certain that the opportunity in the end is going to line up, Steven? Yeah. And even with the Heisman thing, Justin already has the hype. It's him and Trevor Lawrence in a race. And then if anybody else comes along to join like Najee Harris and Mac Jones and more than willing, they're allowed to do that, but it starts with those two. So that's already on the table. I think they're going to run the table in the big 10 and get to the playoff as is. I don't think anybody's going to compete with them. So there's that part. So it's, yeah, it is that it's, can you, are you going to get the number one seed? Is it, if that's the case, can you beat Alabama or Clemson? Or if you don't get the number one seed, you know, can you beat both of those teams in a short turnaround period? Or is something going to happen like it did in the playoff last year that prevents you from making that the case? Adam makes a good point here in the chat. I think it's more possible this year than any year in recent memory. The context has never been bigger. The talent is so good and arguably the greatest of all time at one position. I think it's very likely we are debating this come mid-January with the answer being yes, this is the greatest Ohio State season ever. Two things that were brought up in the chat that we didn't mention that I think are interesting things to mention. The first is from Jalen. How does landing the number one recruiting class factor into this in a year when prospects can't visit? So we've been detailing that. They obviously had the number one class for a very long time. Alabama has passed them. I don't know if they're going to pass them back. But as you think about this, and this is unfolding, you know, the class is going to sign in December. 
that's going to be part of the season story. Stephen, would, would that factor in at all? When we look back on this as, hey, as they were doing this on the field, by the way, if they sign the number one class and they've never had a number one class or whatever, it's in the recruiting, modern recruiting era, would that, would that matter in the, the argument over this? Yes, it does matter. It doesn't matter if it doesn't happen, but it matters if it happens because there goes Alabama again. That's who they're battling, who has been dominating the recruiting rankings for the last 10 years. So, I mean, six months ago, we were thinking this was going to be the highest rated recruiting class of all time, which is still on the table if they get those two Washington guys. But now, once again, here comes Alabama that you got to battle with. So on the field, the battle is with Clemson, who's starting to creep up the rankings a little bit. And then the recruiting rankings, the battles with Alabama. So it's we beat Alabama in the playoff, and then we beat them in the recruiting trail as well. That's, I mean, how many more ways do fans want to be able to talk about Alabama and say we're better than them? I, Nathan, it's not primary, but, man, it would be a little bonus. Again, when you're talking about, well, all the national championship teams Ohio State ever had, I feel like that would be a, one more extra little notch for this year if it did happen. I, I suppose it's just that one doesn't directly correlate to the other. I mean, they pretty much have this right. season. They have this class almost fully signed, but, and they haven't even played a game yet. Mm-hmm. So that would, I, I, I think it is maybe one of those, those feather in the cap kind of things that you get to say as you're on top of the college football mountain. You also get to say, and guess what? We've got the best recruiting class too, so you got more of this coming. You get to say that. I don't know that it necessarily affects how much I think of this team, though. Well, but again, we're going back to the thing. And you, I think you said team a couple times in this, right? It really is season that I'm really talking about. That it's not, and if you, in the end, you are the best team. Yeah, there's more the national correlation there. Yeah. The best, you're the best team because you win the national championship. You have the best player because you won the Heisman. And you have the best recruiting class. And it happened all at the same time. Alabama's and never done that. They've never won, had a high. I don't think they've had all three in the same year before. Let me check that, but I don't think they have. As Urban Meyer always said, if they're keeping score, we want to win. So those are kind of the ways, other than the Boletnikoff Award, also in there, they keep score there because Steven wants Garrett Wilson to win the Boletnikoff Award. In 2021, but, though, not this year. So in, on the list of things, those are the three things that matter the most. Did you win the national championship? Did, you win the, did your best player win the Heisman Trophy? And did you win the recruiting title? That would be quite a trio if they managed to do that. The second thing that a texture brought up that we did not mention, and Shannon, I want to say this first, Shannon brings up the point, agreeing with some of the things we said, fans across the nation will remember who wins this year more than normal because it's such a strange season. I think the strangeness adds to it. Buckeye talk. This, this part, Nathan, from Evan, interesting that nothing about a coach was mentioned yet. So I think, this goes a couple different ways. This is how it works with everybody. It works with great players. It works with great coaches. It works with great franchises. You don't become an all-time great until you win a couple. So I, I would say this. If Ryan Day is in charge and leads them to something that is potentially viewed as the greatest season in Ohio State football history, that will add to what Ryan Day is. And then 25 years from now, if when we're looking back and having a debate about what was the greatest Ohio State season ever, if Ryan Day is now one of the greatest coaches in college football history, and Ryan Day has multiple titles, and you say, and that was Ryan Day's first title in his first year, 
They almost won it, and the refs screwed them against Clemson, and then they came back the next year, and they won it in the second year. Like, that would add to it, but it's hard to have that context now. And almost part of that, to me, when you have the historic debate down the line, if Ryan Day wins one title here and in four years is in the NFL, and he doesn't become one of the greatest coaches in college football history, it's like, I remember when Ryan Day was here for five years and he won one title. I almost think that affects it historically. So it's hard to judge. We didn't talk about the coach in the moment because I feel it's more like the season would then make the coach and then we have to see what else the coach does to decide how much the coach makes the season because Woody's Woody. So if you want to argue 68 because Woody's the boss, then Woody matters in that discussion. If you want to argue 14 because Urban came and revitalized Ohio State football, Urban's part of the discussion. If you want to argue 02 because Tresh showed up, said we were going to beat Michigan, and in year two won the national title, that adds to it. Those coaches do add to that, but I think it's hard in the moment to wrap your head around that. But how do you think Ryan Day right now and maybe in the future would factor into this kind of discussion? Quick well, thing think- before you start, start Nathan. Um, I just looked it up. Alabama did do it in 2015, Mark. Uh, Derrick Henry won the Heisman Trophy. Alabama won the national championship. And the 20, their 2016 recruiting class was number one. So they've done it once. I would say, uh, relative to my list, you could probably you could put this under either the generational talent thing, like your coach could be a generational talent too, as Ohio State has had that with Urban Meyer, with other guys that they've had here, or you could put it under the um, the X factor a little bit too, because like if you look at the recent run of national championships, you've got um, you know Dabo Swinney and Nick Saban. I think those guys go under the generational talent list now. But where does Ed Orgeron go in that? Like, or was it more part of the X factor of LSU last year, kind of their crazy ascension to just being this mega team, kind of having a guy who is a little bit of a retread almost factored into that a little bit, I think. So I think it could go either way. I think the coach, it's not irrelevant, but I also just don't know if you need to have a um, an all-time coach in order to win I do think what you're saying it does sometimes get applied retroactively that you know the the national championship made the coach great more than the coach made the national championship and and you don't know exactly you know like there's like the Jimmy Johnson Miami and then there's like the Larry Coker Miami so it's like if you're lining up great Miami teams it's like well you're probably going to lean towards Jimmy Johnson then you're going to lean towards Larry Coker so I mean I I do think it matters that context that we have to wait and see a little bit. I think that context does matter. I want to ask you about this, Nathan, because you've kind of been mentioning a lot of this kind of stuff. Ryan in the chat says, how much does national public perception matter in the quote, greatest Ohio state season and quote debate? Is this season going to have a bit of an asterisk with fewer games and a potentially very weak schedule before the playoffs? Not sure how history is going to look back and judge this season. So it's going to be memorable, but Nathan, do you believe in your X-Factor discussion that fewer games, maybe there's going to be some stuff that gets delayed. I know you said that COVID could be something that prevents it from being this, right? If they get through, right? And listen, everybody plays, but there are some bumps along the way. Do you think that a COVID season that is finished, but moderately affected, would that take away from the idea that this was an all-time great Ohio State season? I think the, the season as it's constructed right now for Ohio State makes the case tougher than it would have been in March when they were still going to play Oregon, when they were still going to play a full Big Ten schedule. I think it does make it different. 
Um, and, and because those games did allow you to add to the case. I mean, you had to win more games. You had to go on the road and beat a team as good as what Oregon was going to be before they had all their opt-outs. I mean, those things are a factor too. I do think though that that can be at the end of the day when everybody else had to play on that same level. And any team, if you had transported them throughout history to this year, still would have run into COVID and still had that problem. I think that who you play in the postseason can counteract that a little bit. So if you end up playing a, an undefeated team coming out of the Big Ten West and beat them for the Big Ten Championship, and then you beat um, two great teams in the playoffs and to win your national championship, I think that at the end of the day, I think that still erases most, if not all, of that asterisk. And we're seeing it happen right now, right? That – Listen, I'm not, I'm not paying attention to the baseball season. I used to love baseball. I just don't really follow baseball anymore. But this baseball season was so truncated. And they had the teams that are like, oh, this team in the middle of the season has to pause for a week, and then they're going to play 11 doubleheaders in a row or whatever. I, I would imagine that this baseball season will be viewed as, no matter who wins it, no matter how good they are, I, I think it may be viewed as like, eh, I don't know. But then the NBA – you know, they pause, they break, they go in the bubble. The bubble works. The bubble's fun. The bubble's awesome. The level of play is high. And so now when you look back on this LeBron James, Anthony Davis team, I think it is enough of a true NBA season. And then the weird part was kind of cool that I don't think anybody's going to say, ah, oh, that LeBron, Anthony Davis team, I'm not going to put that among the all-time great teams because that season was weird. I don't think you would do it to the NBA. So I think if college football, yes, Ohio State's not going to play as many games as usual. But if they wind up more like the NBA and less like baseball, I think it's all on the table for everybody to view this as absolutely legit. And then fighting through is a plus, not a minus. If everybody winds up playing like five games and it's like the committee's like, okay, I guess we'll take five and one Alabama and four and Ohio State, then you're just going to be in a world where it's like people are going to be like, I don't even know if that was a real season. Steven, you're nodding along. Do you think that NBA example, mm -hmm. do you think that, yes, people are going to view that NBA title as legit, and that's maybe what the college football season could be? And Evan Jones mentioned that in the chat as well. I think, I mean, first of all, it just added to LeBron's legacy. I mean, if you look at the ESPN's page right now, it's literally it's LeBron. Uh, Chris Frieda, our own Chris Frieda, Cleveland.com, wrote about how this adds to LeBron's legacy of why he's better than Michael Jordan. And you can use this, the fact that you had to go through all that, it adds to that case. But also, it goes back into, okay, who did you still get to play? And to your point, if they still get to play Alabama, if they still play Clemson, you still play the other two best teams in college football. I know it's a weird year and you only played six or seven games each, but at the end of the day, the three best teams in college football got into the playoff and the winner had to at least play one of them in order to win a national championship. And I think that's what matters most. And not that I want to turn this into an NBA discussion, but the, th the Lakers did not play the two other best teams in the NBA because they didn't no. have to play the Clippers and they didn't have to play the, the Bucks. So not that I don't think that takes away because I think it's about fighting through and Miami was a good team and Denver was a pretty good team. So, um, but I, I do think it's an interesting example. It, it's going to matter how they manage this. Ben has a question, and I think we, I want to get into this a little bit. This is a little bit removed from the greatest season of all time discussion, but we did again, get to talk to Ryan day, Corey Dennis and Justin Fields today. Ben says, why do we say Alabama is a great team when they almost lost to the lane Kiffins with two and three star recruits? Why shouldn't we feel like Ohio state with mainly four and five stars? Why can't they have their way with Bama? So that was a topic of discussion with Ryan day 
on Tuesday, just like, what is up with the defense? And he had some points about it. We're going to see what happens when the Big Ten starts playing and what that defense looks like. But specifically, and I want to get into that a little bit, but Steven, specifically on the Alabama point, if what Ben is saying is like, why are we putting Alabama on this pedestal? If Lane Kiffin can score on them, certainly Ohio State will be able to score on them. Is that a reasonable argument at this point? Or should we maybe just think like, well, Alabama will get it together and everybody's having defensive problems and Alabama probably is still awesome. Resume matters, and what you've been able to do in the past matters. And we know Nick Saban's defenses are pretty stout, usually, and that's the case. So I think right now, because everybody's defense is wild, I'm not including the Big 12 in this conversation, but everybody's defense looks like the Big 12 right now, that you can just assume that as guys get more reps and get more practice time that they didn't get to have in the spring, that they didn't get to have a a true fall camp in the normal year, at some point, Alabama is just being who they are and having all the talent they have is going to figure it out, and the defense will get better. Nathan, I want to get into the broader discussion. Ryan Day had a couple things that he brought up on Tuesday as to why is the defense in college football having so many problems right now. Was there one theory of his that you found particularly interesting? He was talking some about conditioning. He was talking some about the film that defenses don't have on opposing offenses. What, what did you think might be a thing there that may apply to Ohio State when the Buckeyes start playing? Well, I think it's worth thinking about just in terms of Ohio State in, in, in general and in, in the whole Big Ten in general is that while they were in this holding pattern, there was a time where they were in this holding pattern, but they weren't shut down. And they still got to go do some football things. They couldn't go out and have full contact practices. They were somewhat limited. But I think fundamentally, these teams should be in decent shape coming into the season, whereas you go back to when the ACC and the SEC were starting their seasons, and I think things were a lot more uncertain. They were uncertain from day to day as to how many people they had at practice, those sorts of things. And I think that maybe is a factor. I think those teams seem to kind of rush through that period in order to get their season started on time. And the Big Ten, with the extra time that it took, even though it was kind of a precarious thing to even get to the season, I think you might actually see less of that when the Big Ten season starts, that these teams might be actually in a little bit better fundamental situation. Because then once once they were able to start full contact practices, they got pretty much the normal amount of lead-up time to the season that they always get to, to do that. But they got extra time prior to that. So I, I think the Big Ten might be in a little bit better situation, but we'll find out here in a couple of weeks. Ryan Day was sort of asked about that, like, hey, what's it like on a Saturday to be watching these other games and to not be playing? And he was like, it's weird. I'm going to my kids' games. It's a beautiful Saturday. And I'm thinking, my gosh, how are we not playing football? But he did admit sort of what you were saying, Nathan, that there might be a little bit that they are learning from the mistakes of other programs. And I think I buy that to some degree, that there is just a way to sort of like manage this. And then you see it come out on the field. Where did teams have trouble on the field because stuff has been weird? And, and I actually think that, that at least at Ohio State and the smartest coaches in the Big Ten who can learn the best, I, I think – I don't know if I would use the word advantage, but I think Ryan Day and the Buckeyes are learning. I think they're watching what's happening. I think they are learning things, and maybe there are some things – whether it's with conditioning, whether it's how much they hit, whether it's how much they work on tackling, whether it's how much film they watch about certain things, I think they may be a little ahead of the game because they're getting to sit back and observe at the moment. Do you, th- you do think in the end that might be true? I, I think so. And I've kind of thought that all along, that, that one of the, the 
again, advantage isn't the right word, but one of the things that the Big Ten will have, I mean, we said all along, we were talking about the Big Ten at large, like kind of like the Big Ten office or Big Ten membership should be watching what's going on in other conferences relative to the virus and learning what is working and what isn't working. But I think that can work in terms of football. I think you can. Ryan Day said that's what they're doing, that they're, they've already had film sessions where they've shown their defense like, hey, this is why this is happening to these teams. It's, it's sometimes it's because uh, they've got to fix pad levels. It's just, it's, or, or running to the ball, you know, just, just fundamental things, like kind of just basic fundamental things that they preach all the time. And this is like another example. You don't have to wait until after you've had a, a Maryland game from 2018 or whatever, or Purdue or Iowa game. You can take the um, Alabama game from last week, or you can take literally any down that Oklahoma has played this year and take it in front of your team and say, hey, you don't want this to happen to you. This is why it's happening. These, these things that we're telling you, this is where it gets played out. This is how you lose games. Who, Multiple what? coaches have mentioned the fact that, that you, they couldn't really find out what their team was until they were allowed to tackle. And that's so, I mean, Brian Hartline mentioned it. Kerry Combs mentioned it. Ryan Day said it when it comes to those four wide receivers today when we talked to him. I, I, I think they're learning, but also the quicker they were able to get the tackling, I think they are a little more focused on it over these last two weeks, seeing what other teams are dealing with. Who wants to write the how Alex Grinch contributed to Ohio State's national title in 2020 by having a horrible defense that Ohio state could watch and say, don't do that. Thanks. I Alex. can't believe you'd leave that out there for one of us to write. Yeah. Isn't that? I'm surprised you didn't write a story of how Alex Grinch is responsible for one of the best defenses Ohio state's ever had in 2019. I, I gotta, I gotta think about this. And I, I actually was mad at myself. I didn't even, cause beyond it, it was Tom Herman against Alex Grinch. Also Chris Ash is now Tom Herman's defensive coordinator at Texas. And so it was Chris Ash's defense oh. against Alex Grinch's defense in that Texas-Oklahoma game. But the difference is Chris Ash did a good job at Ohio State. Chris Ash was very instrumental in them winning the national championship in 2014. And Alex Grinch was very instrumental in giving up 50 to Maryland. So I, I do – when you do good things at Ohio State, like I, I just – I'm going to give you more credit for when you go off and do other things. And when you kind of never are that good at Ohio State, then I'm not going to – Think as much of you when you go off and leave. Uh, and- I'm sorry. Hold on. Harry Buchanan just messaged me said, how the Grinch stole defense. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I know there's a lot. There's a lot. I mean, when your name is Grinch, I'm that's almost awesome. surprised. Awesome. I mean, did the Grinch. So like that family, that family is just sitting around and then someone comes up and is like, Hey, just see the new Dr. Seuss book. And they're like, Oh no, I like Dr. Seuss. Why? And it's like, well, um he made up this new character and it's like this evil green furry guy who tries to steal christmas and his name is the grinch and like josiah grinch back in 19 i don't know when dr seuss was 1948 is like no why wouldn't you change your name you get grinched right you wouldn't i don't know wouldn't you change your last name or would you be proud of it i don't know maybe that grinch that Grinch was better at executing his plan than Alex Grinch is. So. I think it's one of those things just you just me. roll your eyes at. I mean, he's had, he's had to hear 5,000 how the Grinch stole whatever things. It's like how every time someone calls me Nate Dog, they think it's, they're like the first one to do it, and they think it's really clever. You just roll with it. And hey, Nathan, how many times did you hear Nate Dog before you realized who they were talking, talking about? No, I, I, what do you mean? Who, who I, I, was, <laughs> I was in high school when Above the Rim came out. Like, I know all about – All right or junior high, maybe even I'm pretty old. 
But like I was like, I heard that song every day for, of my life for two years, like everyone else did. But then I, then I, then I let it go. Everybody else is keeping it around just to call me Nate dog. I like that the way to get Nathan fired up on this podcast is to question his rap credentials. That was like, Nathan's like, what do you mean? I never heard of that song. I was like, I actually, I don't know what song you're talking about, but, um, Nate dog and Warren G regulate. No, You've heard that song. A oh, regulate. Times. They sing regulate. Yeah. No, I yeah, know yeah, that yeah. one. I thought you said above the rim. Is that, that was that, the movie. It was from the soundtrack. Movie. Oh, okay. No, no, Tupac. no. I know that regulate song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everyone, people call me Dougie fresh. That's a rap guy, right? Is that a thing? It is. Well, he's like, he's a beatboxer more than he is a rapper, but yeah. yeah. So I get yeah. it too, but we could at least change our names. We could go by our middle name. I just, I just thought maybe they, if they, maybe there are other people, maybe there's a texter on this thing. whose last name is Grinch and I apologize. It's just an unusual name and that there's a character named after it. So, I mean, if your last name was the Mad Hatter and they, you know, they write Alice in Wonderland, maybe you'd change your name. Andrew, I see your hand raised. Sorry to get, uh, we got a little distracted with our Grinch conversation there. Thanks for hand in, uh, hanging in. Andrew, go ahead. Well, I'll bring you back to uh, football talk, and I can use all the names you've been talking about to ask a defensive coaching question, particularly about Kerry Combs. We know at his previous stint that he's had so many great corners, but whenever he's here, he's had another coach that's competent at safeties. We thought Chris Ash was a great safeties coach. Greg Schiano had some good safeties, and whether or not you thought he was good, he still had uh, Grinch in the safeties room. Now, you guys say that on Thursday, I believe it is, you're going to get Matt Barnes with the safeties. And I don't think the way you guys talked about it, he's actually the safeties coach, but Kerry Combs is. And now he has to call the defense. Do you guys have any concerns with Kerry Combs trying to bring out the best and Josh Proctor and Marcus Hooker while doing everything else when maybe he hasn't had to do that before at Ohio State? I think it's a great question, Andrew. And, you know, the people you mentioned, he also had Everett Withers as a safeties coach, as a co-coordinator in 13, in 12 and 13, when their pass defense was a problem. And it was enough of a problem that Everett Withers was gone after 2013. And so I think it is always a, can Kerry Combs like coach up the technique and Matt Barnes is there, but clearly Kerry Combs is in charge of the secondary. Can Kerry Combs coach up the technique? Can he in practice get Josh Proctor and Marcus Hooker and Lathan Ransom and Bryson Shaw? I think those are the four safeties that Ryan Day mentioned when he was asked about the safeties on Tuesday. Can he prepare them? Yes, I think he can. I think he can coach them up and have them prepared fundamentally to play. What we don't know, Andrew, and this is part of it, is he's scheming it up now. And you have to put guys in your scheme in position to succeed. And I think this is a very difficult thing to try to assess because Kerry Combs has been around for a decent amount of time. I mean, he was a super successful high school coach. Then he went to Cincinnati. You're not going to turn a high school coach when he goes to Cincinnati, Cincinnati's not going to make him a coordinator overnight. So then he's at Cincinnati. Then Urban Meyer brings him to Ohio State. He's here for a couple of years. He's not made a co-coordinator. He's not made to be in charge of scheming up the defense. He leaves and now he comes back. And now he's going to have a responsibility that he's never had before. I do think sometimes head coaches hire like the hot young coordinator at a lower level school and maybe bypass some guys who could be a coordinator, but for whatever reason aren't getting that opportunity. I also think it's possible if a guy hasn't had a chance to be a coordinator for a while, maybe there's a reason for that. So Kerry Combs is, he has a great resume. I mean, if you want to go back and tell me how many 
national, not national, state title winning high school football coaches wind up winning a national championship in college and then also wind up in the NFL and are coaching for a team that makes a, a, a conference championship game the way the Titans made the AFC championship game last year. I, I think it's possible that Kerry Combs maybe has done something that no coach has ever done. State title in high school, national championship in college, conference championship game in the NFL. It's an unbelievable resume. He's never done this. He's never done this. So everybody loves Kerry Combs. That's the hard. That's who, I mean, we love, he's awesome. He's an awesome personal, as a person, as a recruiter, as a developer of talent, he's awesome. So I think most of us are assuming that he's going to be good at this other thing because literally he has been good at everything he has ever done in his professional life. But we also have to remember he's never done this thing. So I'm not worried about it, but it is absolutely a question that is reasonable to raise. And I do not think that we can assume 100% that it's going to be boom, ready to roll, awesome. Because it's just really hard. It's really hard to scheme up a defense when maybe it hasn't been your primary responsibility before. Nathan, what Andrew is kind of getting at here, you don't have to know the history of all the safety coaches he worked with, but do you, are there questions maybe lingering in your mind about this a little bit? And then the other thing is maybe how Matt Barnes does or doesn't work into that conversation of working with Kerry Combs in the secondary. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the balance of the coaching duties and things like that, I guess it doesn't really worry me that much just because um, they had, it was the same setup last year. You had a first-time defensive coordinator last year who was the primary defensive backs coach in Jeff Halfley, and uh, Jeff Halfley doesn't have – I mean, had a good resume, but I would argue not necessarily the same level resume that Kerry Combs brings as far as developing college defensive backs – so you've even got that going for you this year. Um, and I think that's why he was brought here too. I, I think almost – it wasn't that they don't value what he can be as a coordinator. I think that could be important. But I think they also saw the maybe that the value that he would bring to developing the talent in the first place. And that's the other thing I think about when I look at this Ohio State defense is that you don't really have to worry that much about – obviously the defensive line Larry Johnson you know is going to take care of getting the defensive line as prepared as they can probably be in a given week even though they do have some personnel issues there right now I think there's obviously confidence in um, you know Greg Madison and Al Washington and what they generally do with linebackers and you've also got Madison there to help as far as coordinating the defense too so I don't know it's not something that I have a, a great deal of concern about right now but I do think it's worth keeping an eye on because like you said it's it's happening for the first time that we talk all the time about all the different guys on this defense that are doing things for the first time, whether that's seven banks and, and Marcus Williamson and the guys at defensive tackle and plenty of other guys. Well, Kerry Combs is doing something for the first time too. Steven, what's your, how would you describe sort of your just thought process of thinking about what Kerry Combs' job is this year? Yeah, I'm intrigued by it just because he's never done it. I think him and Larry Johnson are very similar in that they're very good at what they do but they haven't necessarily been asked to do more before. And Kerry Combs is just the first one who gets an opportunity to do that. So we'll see if he can do that. I think as far as the safeties are concerned, what helps is the fact that the safeties and the corners are all in the same room now. I don't know if that was the case before I got here, but I know in 2018 that wasn't the case. And a lot of those guys made it a point to say that because now we're all in the same room, we're all learning the same terminology. We're learning the same technique and all these things. Everyone's on the same page in a way that they weren't in 2018, which probably helps – because at least during the week when they are, are in the classroom, 
they're all learning from Kerry Combs. So that's one less thing that Kerry has to think about when he's also trying to scheme an offense is hmm, what's Matt Barnes teaching his safeties in the other room. They have gone back and forth in my 15 years here. They've gone back and forth with whether the corners and the safeties are in the same room or in separate rooms. I, I'm, I don't know. To my mind, I agree with you, Stephen. It makes more sense to have them together. And I do think the structure of, and this is what they've had since Matt, you know, the, since Matt Barnes got here, it was the same last year with Jeff Halfley, that like there's a secondary coach and Matt Barnes is the assistant secondary coach. And then mm-hmm. maybe when you break up, Combs or Halfley goes with the corners and Barnes goes with the safeties. But when you meet, you meet as a secondary and Kerry Combs is in charge and Matt Barnes is the helper. Sometimes it's hard. It's like, well, everybody wants a room. It's like you want, you want to be in charge of a group. And so you split things up so that all the assistants can have a room. They can have a title. Then when they move up, they can say, hey, I was a safeties coach. You know, Matt Barnes is the special teams coach and the assistant secondary coach. And I actually think it is a very smart division of labor so I think that part of it can really work and I'll say this I sometimes well I say I was gonna say that I like it I don't I'm not gonna I, I don't like being a jerk it just happens it just comes out of me and it, I, at this point in my life I'm not gonna stop it I mean I'm not gonna change who I am it would be impossible but I clearly am not worried about confronting a coach and asking them maybe like why they're bad at their job, right? I've done it enough times over the years. They make millions of dollars. They should have to answer for why they're bad at their job. I don't want to do it with Kerry Combs if he's not good. Aww. Can I not do it? I don't want to do it. Can I, give him a pa- Can I give him a pass? If Ohio State gives up like 63 to Penn State in week two, and they win 70 to 63, but I can, can I be like, huh, Kerry, man, you know, great job. Way to, way to hang on at the end. I don't. I don't, he's been so good here. He is one of the nicest people that I've ever come across as a sports writer in 25 years. And so I don't, I don't think he's going to be bad at this. But Nathan, I don't know how to interpret this because there are times over the years where I feel like people, coaches, people in life get pigeonholed. Maybe you don't get opportunities that you deserve because people view you a certain way. You mentioned that Jeff Halfley last year was a first-time coordinator, right, Nathan? You brought that up. Jeff Halfley last year as a first-time coordinator was 40. Kerry Combs this year is the first time really calling a defense, and I think he does actually have like an assistant coordinator title in there somewhere. But this is the first time he's really, really in charge of a defense like this. He's 59. So when someone gets a chance to be in charge for the first time at age 40, it's because he's on the way up, and he hasn't proven it yet. He hasn't gotten the shot yet. Here you go. You think he's a rising star here, Jeff. And Ryan Day told that story a year ago when Ryan Day and Jeff Halfley worked together in San Francisco. They were like, man, we're working together again someday. Ryan Day thought, that guy right there, I want him on my staff if I ever get a job. Kerry Combs has been around. I think maybe he has been underestimated and overlooked and pigeonholed as a recruiter, as an energy guy, and maybe not as a schemer. I think maybe that's unfair. Or maybe there's a reason for it. The fact that he's getting this chance at age 59 and hasn't really quite done this exact job before, where does that fit in the mix in your mind? That's an important caveat, and it's not, I didn't bring it up when I – it's fair to bring up when I say that about Halfley, that he is, was, was already looked at as more of this, like, riser. I mean, he'd been bouncing around, but, like, rising. He'd been in the NFL, um, had been working his way up. Um, and I will say, though, again, because Kerry Combs started at the high school level, when you actually look at their, like – college and pro careers there's 
the, the time frame might actually be a little bit more similar, right? Because he had a long high school career before he ever got into the, the college game. So what you're saying is perfectly reasonable. I guess I would also just say that I don't know – it seems to me when you look at this hire and especially the positional need that Ohio State had when they're making this hire, I think it is as much about player development as it is about scheming things up and calling a game plan on that day. I think maybe they put more importance on the former than the latter. And Greg, Which is why Greg Madison is so important in this situation because he's been in that position as a schemer. So you can make a you can make a hire like this that's maybe a little leaning towards player development than the actual game plan when there's already a guy on your coaching staff who's done it before. And they talk about a lot of these decisions, these game planning things collectively. When they when you ask them questions about this, it's like, well, we went, we're going to go talk about that, or we're going to have. But at the end of the day, and Doug's, I think, about to say it. I can kind of see his his little face up here in the, this little this little tiny face. Um, at the end of the day, one guy's calling it. One on on Saturdays, it's one dude, and it's going to be Kerry Combs. So I, I that that's a, it's a fair question to ask right now. Which was similar to last year. I mean, Jeff Halfley was in his first time ever being a coordinator, and he was the guy calling it, but. You know, having Greg Madison as a as a voice helped. I hate. I, I get it. It's like everybody collaborates. I get it. But like you said, Dave, in the end, someone's got to make a call. Um, I think Kerry Combs is the best hire they could have made when Jeff Halfley left. I mean, like I I don't question the hire at all. But I but I understand. I, I would have a slight five percent um, in in the back of your head a little bit. But Greg Schiano, successful college head coach, NFL head coach. Gets fired, drops down to be a coordinator in college again, and he schemed Ohio State into oblivion in 2018. So, you know, it's not always only about your resume. It's about what are you able to do in the moment. And Kerry Combs has succeeded at everything he's ever done. So I think that's my assumption. And if he doesn't do that well, I am going to give him a pass. I can do that once in my career. I could just let somebody off the hook, right? I mean, well, but I, and I also don't know that we're going to get the answer in 2020 as to how great a coordinator Kerry Combs is because, again, they have some personnel issues on defense right now. Or at least they have personnel issues, obviously, at defensive tackle. They just don't know who's healthy. They have personnel questions around the rest of the defense where this may be more of a transitional year than what we saw last year where you just had this just glut of talent on the floor, on the field. I want to get back to that point because I thought it was interesting that Ryan Day actually brought up like, yeah, we're a little thin at defensive tackle when he was talking on Tuesday. But Brandon has had his hand up for a while. Uh, Brandon, I think you're unmuted. Fire away. Uh, I just had a question about the wide receiver rotation this year um, with not much. There was no spring, really. And I'm sure they weren't there much during the summer. Do you think they'll rotate as much as they usually do? Uh, I've, I've never been a real fan of the rotation. I thought last year at times we took Chris Olave off the field and he was just better than Ben Victor and Austin Mack. And I was just wondering if you guys think that'll continue this year. Well, Brandon, I have bad news and I'll let, <laughs> yeah. I'll let Doug explain it. Cause he asked the question today <laughs> that prompted Ryan Day's answer. Yeah. I specifically asked about this. I, I think I didn't ask it very well. Cause I was trying to figure, I wanted him to give us the six man receiver rotation to say, here are the six guys who would play if the season started today. He was very circumspect on kind of any position battle stuff. The only thing he really gave any hint on was that Nicholas Petit Frere is ahead in the right tackle spot. And he said they're both, he and Paris Johnson are both going to play, but he said Nicholas Petit Frere has been working with the ones. He said they're going to rotate six receivers, but like as soon as he said that, he started talking about the tight ends, which I thought was interesting that he said like, but we have a lot of tight ends and they're going to play too, which I thought was interesting. But I was specifically interested in the young freshman receivers 
how are they doing as they start practicing more? And he did kind of say, yeah, right. I mean, Nathan and Steven, he, he was saying, well, they're doing well at this, but yes, he does think they're behind and that he does think you're not going to really know until you have pads on and you're out there getting hit and they haven't just had as much opportunity to do that in practice. But I anticipate it's going to be a six man receiver rotation. And I think the only question is, is, is the slot rotation maybe not a 50-50 and that it leans toward Garrett Wilson? And maybe if Jackson Smith and the Jigba, as we expect, is the second guy in the slot, maybe is that not 50-50? But, you know, Olave, do you leave Olave in the field more? I don't know the, the specifics, but, Stephen, I came away from that anticipating sort of the six-man rotation that I think we've all sort of thought it's going to be, which is basically Olave, Garrett Wilson, Julian Fleming, G. Scott, Jackson Smith, Najigba, Jamison Williams, like those six guys. Ryan Day didn't say the names, but there was nothing that Ryan Day said that dissuaded me from thinking that's what it'll be. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the case. I also think we've asked them a lot about those four freshman wide receivers, and part of him wants to temper some of that down a little bit, especially since he's right. They haven't been hitting a real game, and I think maybe they put the pads on and some of those spectacular catches they were making when it was just touch football weren't happening as much when all of a sudden – you know, Josh Proctor or Marcus Hooker come across the middle and, you know, mess them up a little bit. I think that kind of slowed down. So he wants to temper those expectations a little bit, which is, I think, part of why he didn't – he gave you a little bit of a coach talk answer when you asked the question. I do think it's always – you can judge sometimes by what people don't say. And he did sort of go to the tight ends. And, well, we have tight ends we can play. And then he started talking about we might play two running backs, you know. You know, he didn't – in that moment, he didn't say the name Jalen Harris. He didn't say the name Cameron Babb. You know, he didn't, he didn't say the name Elijah Gardner. He didn't say the names of, hey, don't forget, we have some other veteran guys who have looked really good, who have earned the shot to get on the field too. He didn't go there. Now, that doesn't mean they won't factor in, but I feel like if one of those sort of veterans who isn't one of those top three guys, Olave, Wilson, Jamison Williams, was really doing something, was really a factor, that would have been an opportunity to say that, and he didn't say that. So that's why I'm, it left me with the assumption, like I said, of those six guys, which is going to be three older guys, three true freshmen. Yes, the tight ends are going to work in. But Nathan, like, do you think – I don't know. Am I, am I reading too much into that, that we've sort of wondered, does the pandemic slow down the freshman receivers enough to open a door for an unexpected veteran receiver – Am I reading too much into it to say maybe that answer indicated, no, I don't think anyone's coming through that door? No, I had, I had the same thought. I think that's a fair thing to, to question. I also think, though, it's a, you know, what your offense is on day one as far as what plays you're calling on game one. Maybe it's a little bit different than what you're calling a little bit later in the season. I know that we've talked about that before and that in, in general teams kind of are who they are. But I think this year might force them into adaptation a little bit more than your average season. And so early on, maybe, um, maybe you are uh, pulling a, a tight end out into the slot or throwing to your tight ends a little bit more than you are in week five, six. As, as these freshmen get more time in pads, in full contact, at full speed, this, I, I mean, that, at all positions, I think that's something that the freshmen are dealing with, but especially at receiver where you were expecting them to, to make an immediate impact. Maybe it is worth pumping the brakes a little bit on that as far as what they can do on day one. But we've also seen, I mean, we saw at practice that those guys were in the mix and they certainly looked apart. I mean, um, we only saw half an hour, but you don't have to watch them practice to see what 
you know, Julian Fleming and G Scott and some of those guys look like physically right now, they look like they're ready to play. So I, and now I think it's just a matter of proving through the practice process to these coaches that they deserve that target in a way that somebody else doesn't. And to the point of reading into things a little too much, when we did watch practice, one, Jalen Harris wasn't out there. Demario McCall wasn't out there. And Cameron Babb didn't go through any of the drills. He was standing there on the sideline. Just, I mean, he was being the leader and being, you know, present, but he wasn't necessarily going through anything. Interesting. And, and it very well could be, again, it's like, okay, well, if the freshman receivers maybe aren't quite as ready as they would have been, maybe it just means that Olave, Jamison Williams, and Garrett Wilson all play 70% of the snaps or 80% of the snaps early. And then the freshmen who are in the rotation rotate a little less. It doesn't necessarily mean there's a different older guy taking their spot in the rotation that I do think you don't want to be, they like to keep guys fresh, but you, you know, and I think, I think that Brandon made a good point. It's like, you know, there've been times when it's like, you're taking, you're so yeah. dedicated to the rotation. You're taking that guy off the field for that guy. And I think there, you can do that too much at times. And then we saw it when they didn't take KJ Hill off the field last year. And they said, well, we don't have somebody to rotate with him. He's fine. He can handle most of the snaps. We're not going to rotate. And I think maybe it's just, you know, what, Okay, if you're if some let's say that Julian Fleming is rotating with Chris Olave, let's say, maybe it's not series for you, series for you, series for you, series for you. Maybe it's Olave, Olave, Fleming, Olave, Olave, right? That would be easy to do, two thirds to one third instead of half and half. And I think maybe you solve a couple different things that way, which is easing in the freshman. And oh, by the way, we have this junior who might be a first round pick, and he should play more. Let's do this. Zoom rumors. We have about 15 minutes left in this. If there are questions that you would like us to answer, put them in the chat or get ready to hit that raise hand function and get your hand raised. We're going to come down the home stretch. Everyone listening on the podcast, thanks for hanging with us. This is our big Wednesday pod. If you want to be able to be part of this, like the people in the Zoom room are right now, we also have our online book. The third chapter will come out Wednesday. The first two chapters are out on Ryan Day was chapter one. Expectations for the 2019 season were chapter two. It is our 2019 online book about last season. People seem to be enjoying it so far. We're getting good feedback on it. That's another bonus thing for tech subscribers. For now is a great, now is a great time to get in. Season is around the corner. 14-day free trial to test it out. Send a text to 614-350-3315. And we will be right back. I'm Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. Joseph in Atlanta says the online book has been awesome thus far, by the way. So thanks to Joseph for reading that. Uh, Brandon had a question in the chat. Stephen, do you know if Emeka Egbuka and JTT will be attending the Buckeye Bash? So Stephen, refresh everybody listening on what the Buckeye Bash is. And these are the two five-star Washington kids that are kind of like the last, the two big remaining targets for Ohio State in 2021 yeah it's still a work in progress i mean they live on the other side of the country and ryan day kind of talked about how you know it's hard right now to kind of finish out a when you're trying to finish out a class without being able to have any real contact with those guys and a lot of this stuff has to be player driven and they can't have any involvement in it so it's it's a work in progress tristan lee's coming so we'll see if that does anything to you know flip some momentum in their favor over lsu but right now I mean, those two Washington guys, it's a, a work in progress every day. And how things are looking, those are probably going to be the last two additions. And refresh people on what Buckeye Bash is, because I'm not sure that every single person listening to that knows exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, so last summer, um, 
Ryan Day's first summer as the head coach. Ohio State had this thing called the Buckeye Bash and Barbecue, which was basically just an event where they almost had like 10 guys take their official visits during that weekend. And they also had some of the other targets come on unofficials. And it was just a big Ohio State get together. It was almost like how at the spring game, you see all those former Buckeyes around and there's a lot of recruits around as well. It's that, except it's not public. And so no one really knows anything about it until you talk to a recruit about it. And from that, there were like five or six straight weeks where Ohio State started getting commits. Lathan Ransom committed. Uh, Darion Henry committed. All these different guys started committing. So it was, it was a really big event for them. They tried to do the same thing this past summer before, you know, COVID. And they were, it was building up to be the exact same thing. And so when they got shut down, they had to figure out another way to go about it. And so Jack Sawyer the only guy who lives in Columbus came up with the idea of, I'm just going to host it. I'm going to do what Oklahoma did. I'm going to do what LSU did. And I'm just going to host a bunch of kids at my house and we're going to walk around the campus and we're going to get to know each other. Cause there's a lot of guys in this class. Andre Turrentine, for example, has only met one other player and that's Kyle McCord. And that's because elite 11 was in his backyard. So they got a chance. To, he went down there and they got a chance to meet. But other than that, there's a lot of kids who haven't been on campus yet who haven't had the meet, had the pleasure of meeting these guys in person. So Jack Sawyer has been kind of organizing this player-led Buckeye bash, and they're going to be here October 23rd and 24th. So they'll be here for the season opener. They're just going to watch the game at Jack's house. And so, yeah, that's they're trying to get as many people as possible. And Ryan Day was asked about that on Tuesday, he, and he made it very clear, like, we can't have anything to do with that. And mm-hmm. he said when they hear about that stuff, they are running it past their compliance person but because it's still a dead period, right? Like there is just no on-campus recruiting that can happen because of COVID restrictions. This has to be player run. It's all unofficials. Like Ohio State really can't be involved at all. Is that correct, Stephen? Not at all. Not, not, not even over the phone. Bennett Christian, for an example, when he came up and did something similar just on his own, he couldn't even be on the phone with Kevin Wilson the entire time he was on campus. So it was basically – they had a phone call earlier in the week where Kevin Wilson kind of gave him some ideas of where to go in Columbus. And then his family came up and walked around like normal people. And this is going to be the same thing. All right. So uh, again, if anybody in the zoom room wants to uh, throw a question in there, go ahead and do it. If you want to raise your hand, I'm going to go through We had, I also asked the tech subscribers before we got on, if you couldn't get on the zoom tonight, if you wanted to ask a question um, let's see. Seth Shaner asked this earlier on the text. You've asked if the 2020 Buckeyes will be the greatest Ohio State team of all time. I told friends last year after the Wisconsin game that if they won out, the 2019 team would be the greatest of all time. We know how that ended up, but they still put together arguably the greatest regular season in school history. How much does luck of the draw play in these things? We saw Tennessee win after Peyton Manning was gone, and it's been derailed, uh, detailed here often that 69, 2003, 2015 teams seem destined to be greater than their predecessors. I mean, I think that that's Seth's question, like sort of the luck that goes into this. I do think, you know, disappointment can lead to success. I think success can lead to disappointment. Oftentimes, just when you think something is going to happen, it doesn't happen. And I think we sort of covered that. But like, Nathan, how much do you buy that kind of thing that, you know, hey, 2014 was awesome. We thought 2015 would be better. And then they were so talented, but like it wasn't better sort of for some tangible and intangible reasons in general, in sports, do you feel like those seasons do feed off each other? And I guess my question is, does it actually increase the chances of Ohio state having a great season in 2020 that 2019 ended in disappointment and not in a national title? I don't know that it increases the chances. I think if it was the entire team coming back, 
I mean, if, if Chase Young and Jeff Okuda were coming back this year, I think it would in, maybe increase the chances, but so would the fact that Chase Young and Jeff Okuda were playing on this team. So I don't know if that's completely fair either. Um, I, I, it is weird how I think there have been you could, a number of times in, in sports history where you look at, and especially it seems like it happens in college sports, you're like, oh, that team like just missed, like you missed its window. You're like Tennessee, the Tennessee missed its national championship window when uh, Peyton Manning cycled through and then T Martin leads him to a national championship. Like th- those sorts of things have happened. This is a little bit different because obviously it's the same quarterback and that's, he's the most important player on this team. But um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it necessarily, I think it's, it's one of those things that we apply retroactively a lot of times, right? Mm-hmm. If, if this team wins a national championship and they're all after the national championship game talking about, we walked off the field at, in Arizona last year and we said we're going to do this well then it gets applied to that but if they don't end up winning the national championship then what happened in Clemson last year with Clemson last year doesn't probably come up depending on the circumstances of the game yeah it makes it I mean we get to write cool stories about it but it's not anything more than that I think there's a I think there's a psychological component. I mean, I think, I think any coach would tell you like staying on top is harder than getting on top, right? That defending is harder than chasing. So I think a lot of that does factor into it. Um, but I also agree. Yes. We sort of see what happens and then we decide how the motivation actually factored or didn't factor into it. When I sometimes, I sometimes think we can overplay it. Uh, this is from the four one five. I've been tuning out the text recently with everything going on, but I still want to support you all. So thank you from the 415. What is one thing that you think draft analysts could learn in this season that they can't learn during a normal season? Will that help or hurt the current Buckeyes that will be declaring for the draft in the spring? This is Sam from Seattle. I do think there's a lot to the idea of you'll get some sense of how guys were self-motivated when things were screwy and when they were home and working out. And did guys at the start of the season look good or did a guy look out of shape? when his season started? Did a guy look fundamentally unsound? And that I would watch tape of the guy's first two or three games and see how he looked. And it's one of those things, you want to see guys improve, but if a guy in week one looks awful and in week eight looks like a first round pick, I would at least include some of that early awful being like, dude, you didn't get yourself ready. When you were forced to be on your own, you didn't handle your business. So now when you're in the NFL and you're a millionaire, and we're not holding your hand as much, are you going to handle your business? And if you have a guy who comes out week one and looks ready to roll, then you're going to be more likely, likely to say that guy, that guy worked out in the summer on his own. That guy ate right. That guy was locked in and ready to go and practice. I do think that could be more informative because I think more got put on the individual players during the course of this than normal. Steven, do you agree with that? I do. Discipline. I mean, we're going to give you millions of dollars and you're not showing any discipline. And for Ohio state, it might be even more because it's they're on some strict guidelines right now. And if you're an NFL scout and you're seeing how strict some of these guidelines are not, I mean, Justin's going to be a first round draft pick, but for a guy like Chris Olave, who might be borderline first round or second round draft pick, this might be the thing that makes them take Chris Olave or over another wide receiver who's in a similar position because Chris Olave was under the strict guidelines that he had to follow both from the Big Ten and Ohio State, and he followed them to a T, and it led to his team winning a national championship. All right, Nathan, I want to ask you this different question. It's from Janine here in the chat. I think Nathan Nathan touched on this earlier, but how concerned should we be about this defense's ability to stop the run? And the reason I really wanted to get to this question from Janine is because it gets to a very specific thing that I think we should be talking about for week two. With their lack of defensive tackle depth and a week two date with Journey Brown and Penn State, 
that I think Journey Brown is, is one of the best running backs in the Big Ten, clearly. And that we have seen at times, Penn State usually has a good running back, Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders, and they always have a back who can do some damage. That, that's a test. And so, Nathan, you've at various times had some, you know, some, some takes on what you're expecting from this defense. That particular run defense angle against a running back in week two that should do some damage, is that at the forefront of what you're wondering about with this defense? It is. And I, we, many, many months ago, we did an exercise that we're doing. What's one of our Buckeye, um, what do we call them? Buckeye talk, text, Q and A's. That's what we call them. We, named we got away from doing those. Yeah. Wow. But I, I took a question from a, one of you out there who is, is listening or texting. And it was like, who's the most likely team to upset? Who's going to be the most, this year's most likely Purdue or Iowa or that team that upsets Ohio state. And I picked Iowa and part of it was because I thought it was a team that I thought the most direct way to maybe upset this Ohio State team was to be able to run the ball on them and keep that offense off the field. And that is, I think, a concern right now with this team. It's that it's not that they don't have defensive talent elsewhere, but I think there's enough question marks about this defense that you we don't I think we know that this is a national championship offense. I don't know that we know that this is a national championship defense yet. I think that's a fair thing to say. I don't think that's a criticism to say that. I think the components might be there, but it hasn't been proven yet. And when you start talking about Teron Vincent and Haskell Garrett, neither one may be ready for the start of the season. We don't know. You've got linebackers moving around a little bit. We don't know how that's going to settle off early in the season. Um, you, we obviously, we've talked ad nauseum about what's going on in the secondary and that you've got a lot of new guys you're counting on there. I, I mean, it, it's – nobody's probably going to come in and outscore this Ohio state team. If you get in the shootout, I think you'd probably like your chances against just about anybody, but a team that can go in and just grind yards and keep Ohio state's offense off the field and keep ratcheting up or, or ratcheting, or removing the margin for error that the offense has with every like first down that they get. I think that that does make them a little bit more vulnerable. So a team like Penn state that could plausibly go out and run the ball like that against another good team. I, I think it's a, it's a thing to wonder about. I think there, there's two things that could happen, right? There's, there's three things that could happen. One is they're not a national championship level defense, and so they don't win the national championship. One is they become a national championship level defense, and they do win the national championship. And the other is they aren't a national championship level defense, and they win the national championship anyway. Because maybe nobody's a national championship yeah. level defense yeah. this year, right? Mm-hmm. That, I, that I think – you know, that, that I think is the great question. I think, Nathan, and I think you've said this all along, I agree with you. I think there are legitimate questions about the defense. It's just will the questions hold them back from them being what right. they can be? And that – I think the questions aren't a question, if that makes sense. I think there's not a question that there will be questions. I think the question is how much will the questions affect them? So I think that's what I'm most interested to see. and maybe. You don't win your games 52 to three, but maybe you win your games 52 to 27 and you're fine. And it, like, it's, it's good enough. It's absolutely good enough. It looks good enough to get in the playoff. No one's stopping anybody. You're in the playoff. And when you get in the playoff, you outscore people and you win it all. Absolutely. I think on the table, we're, we're running up against nine o'clock, but we're going to go slightly over. There's three things I want to get to here at the end, a couple different questions that I want to make sure we get to. This is a big picture one. We could do a whole podcast on this, but we'll dive in and get out of it. It's from Todd from Meat Chicken, in parentheses, a nervous bird. So that's Todd from Michigan from the 586. I can't join the Zoom. So here's my question that I really wanted to ask live. Will we ever see a Chris Gamble at Ohio State again? 
By that, I mean a true two-way player, not a novelty. He's one of my all-time favorite Buckeyes for that reason and made some huge plays in that championship season. The interception to seal the win at Purdue and the pick six at Penn State. If I remember, he was recruited as a receiver but made some of his most memorable plays on defense. Steven, will we ever see a true two-way player at Ohio State again? I don't think so, no. And I think part of it is a lot of these positions where it might happen, these guys start playing these positions so young and they kind of master them by the time they get to the – Ohio State. I mean, look at the wide receivers. Those four guys, Garrett Wilson, because those guys have been playing wide receiver for so long and going to all these camps that they kind of settle into a position, even with guys who are listed as athletes like Desan McCullough is right now. He knows what he's going to play when he gets to Ohio State. And so because of how where football has gone and youth football, it's very hard to have an Ironman situation when why would I do that when I can just go recruit a five-star wide receiver? Why would I have a guy play both ways when I can have a five-star wide receiver and a five-star cornerback? I, I think that's the answer. I think the recruiting right now is too good. That, that, that back then, the recruiting at Ohio State was good, but it wasn't quite at the same level. So it's like, well, you didn't necessarily have a Chris Gamble on offense and a different Chris Gamble on defense, so you needed the actual Chris Gamble to be both of them. But now it's like there's always somebody – there's always a four-star. There's always a top 100 guy coming up next, like at every position – so I can't imagine the world where it's like you would be so desperate that you'd have to take like an All-American because splitting the time of that All-American would somehow be the best solution rather than just like promoting the guy who was the number 67 player in his recruiting class to step up and be a starter. So I, I just – You can get it for a week though, like Rashad Barry did last year. That could happen in a specific game, but not – to the level of Chris Campbell where that's – you should just expect him to be on both sides every single game. And it's not a, like, like, the, like the question said, like not a novelty, like a true two-way thing. I mean, mm -hmm. at the time, Chris Gamble was a rare, rare, rare player to do it then. So to say, here we are almost 20 years later, could it happen again? I mean, it really hasn't happened since. You know, Zach Boren, fullback and then linebacker. Again, that was a desperate, desperate situation and a different situation than Chris Gamble. So no, I think that was a one-time thing. Last two, and Nathan, I wanted to get into this a little bit. We have to continue to monitor this stuff. We did touch on it earlier, but I wanted you to sort of just take us through what this maybe says about Ohio State from the 813. Dan Mullen called for a full swamp for this weekend's game at Florida, but now the team has just paused all football activities due to the positive tests. Shoulder shrug emoji. What is the lesson to be learned here at all? And one is like, hey, Florida, like maybe Dan Mullen, chill out a little bit. But does it apply to anything for Ohio State or the Big Ten? I mean, I think there's some lessons in hubris that we could take from here a little bit that maybe not to um, – I don't know. I wrote about this in the Madness column from Monday about how there seems to really be a disconnect still in this sport between how seriously people are, are taking this. And it seems to be somewhat regional, but not completely. Um, I it's two different things though. I mean, one is, I mean, the big 10 is making its determination that for that, no fans, at least to start the season. Um, I, I still am somewhat optimistic that that could get relaxed, but it's not going to get relaxed to the point where they're going to let 90,000 people in these stands, no matter what the governors of those States say, I, I don't see that happening in the big 10. They've just, there's nothing about the way that they've handled this process. That makes me think that, that we'll get anywhere near that in 2020 and who knows what will even be on the table for 2021. Hopefully things are back to normal. Um, yeah. As far as the other half of it, though, um, again, I, I don't know. The Big Ten testing procedures, I think, are still a little bit different and more stringent and more rigid than anything that's been implemented in the SEC. So maybe, again, that's what the Big Ten is hanging its hat on, that we're going to be so diligent about this. 
we the Big Ten, not we, I'm not involved with it, but speaking for them, they're going to be so diligent about this and on top of it on a daily basis that you're going to keep that first infection out or be able to remove it immediately. And then moving forward from there, you're not going to have these, these even small outbreaks that get to the point where they might cancel a game. I think that's still the thing that the Big Ten, as we talked about all along, they're going to monitor what's going on in other conferences and maybe base some of their decisions off of that. I think right now, as they did a month ago, I think the Big Ten presidents and commissioners are probably looking at that, or chancellors, I should say. I should know that since I was Chancellor Baird, are looking at that and saying, that's how, this is why we're doing it the way we're doing it. This is why we were the right, we were smart to do it this way. And it's hard. It's like, it's, it's not exactly a straight line between Dan Mullen saying, hey, can we have a full stadium? And I think I, the report is 19 Florida players testing positive. I like saw that's, 13 earlier, but maybe maybe higher, yeah. I mean, at more than 10. That's not a direct thing, but I think it's a, it's a mindset that Dan Mullen was kind of thinking like, hey, like we're good, let the fans in. And I think if you read the coverage of the way the state government in Florida is handling things, I think they've been opening some things back up. And I think it feels like Florida just let its guard down, maybe like on a state level and on a program level. And the effect was, it's not a direct correlation i think that dan mullen said let's have a full stadium and then a bunch of players tested positive but i also don't think it's a coincidence so i think it reinforces and this is why jim tressel and urban meyer put out a dis uh, a video today that was released by the governor's office encouraging people to social distance it's it is all at least tenuously connected that what a state does what a community does what a program does what players do all influences each other. And if you don't handle your business, the way it might trickle down is a bunch of your football players might test positive. So I think for anybody who is at times felt like maybe Ohio's too strict about things, and certainly Ohio has opened some things up, and I know everybody has lots of different opinions on this stuff. Again, it's not directly tied to each other, but I also don't think it's coincidental. So I think if you, if you want football – it might just, I don't know that anybody at any level can really let their guard down because I think that's, that's kind of what, that's kind of what Florida did. Last one. Good one to end with here. And I did see in the, in the chat, um, Kyle said wrong team, but correct concept went Jabril peppers from Michigan had been the closest thing to a potential gamble. And I think that's a great one to cite. He didn't do a ton on offense, but I think my, I would argue that one of the reasons that Michigan was using Jabril Peppers, who was a defensive player, was a return man, and they started using him a little bit on offense, was because their recruiting was not at the level that Ohio State is currently, that they didn't have a Jabril Peppers on offense, which is the whole point of like, hey, here's a dynamic athlete who can do some stuff in space, and we don't necessarily have that on offense. Let's put our linebacker safety in offense. And then if Ohio State continues to recruit at this level, they won't be in that position. All right, this is a question about Tom Herman, and it ties into our book. From the 330, I was going to ask this question in the Zoom. How lucky is Ohio State that Tom Herman left when he did? Is there any way that he would be in Day's shoes if he'd stuck around and Urban Meyer would have left a year or two sooner? But after reading chapter one of the book and reading what Gene Smith said, it doesn't sound like Tom Herman would have gotten that chance here. Is that a correct assumption from the 330? And I will tell you that is a correct assumption. That I have 
I've written around that or about that. I have asked people directly about that. I have thought about that a lot, the timing of things that happen in life. But Gene Smith, who is the guy in the end who makes this decision, of course, the board of trustees and the president and donors and everybody, they do have some influence. But this is what an AD does. He hires coaches. He says that, that Ryan Day is the one. Ryan Day is the one assistant that he would have elevated in, since Gene Smith has been the AD at Ohio State. Ryan Day is the one assistant that he would have elevated to head coach. And that includes Luke Fickle, who got it in an emergency, but then did not get it full time. And that includes Tom Herman, who went off and went to Houston and did a really good job and then got the Texas job and hasn't done as good a job there. But that, I think, said a lot because to me, Ryan Day and Tom Herman are very similar, right? I mean, in, in a million different ways. Their age, how they got here, their, their resumes as offensive minds and quarterback coaches. Um, but I think maybe you would say, and I think also Ryan Day certainly benefited from urban structure and Tom Herman got to a place at Texas that was a mess and was down and Ryan Day got to step into a program that was up and we can't minimize that. That's a huge reason um, why Ryan Day is where he is right now and why Tom Herman is where he is right now. But yes, you can assume that Ryan Day is the only guy who would have gotten this chance. And if it, if urban had retired four years earlier, if urban wire had won the national title in 2014 and said, I'm out. And Tom Herman was like, I'm leaving for Houston, which he already said he was leaving for Houston before the national championship game. But if Urban would have quit and would Ohio State have said, hey, don't, Tom Herman, don't leave for Houston. Stay here and be the head coach. My understanding is no, that's not how that would have played out because Ryan Day is the one. So um, if you guys want to get in on that 13-chapter book, Now's a great time to be a tech subscriber. It's only for our tech subscribers. You send a text to 614-350-3315. You get to be part of this Zoom thing. So thanks to everybody who hung out through this Zoom call. Um, we're, we haven't done one in a while. I, I would like us to get more back in the flow, but we're also going to have a season coming here. So we're going to be in the flow of everything. But I think this is a good way to do it. I think we could find a way to do this more often. So thanks to everybody who contributed. Thanks to everybody who listened on the podcast and who's listening right now. We appreciate you guys listening. If you want to drop a review at Apple Podcasts, uh, we certainly would appreciate that. Of course, make sure that you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Steven, what do you got popping? What's something that you have up on the site at cleveland.com right now or something that you might have coming this week that people will want to read? Yeah, go read the uh, defensive end rotation piece. I, I, we discussed it a little bit on the pod. I found it pretty interesting how similar – you know, the classes are. Now, whether it hits the same is obviously we'll have to find that out. But I just think it's very – the two groups, the, the Bosa, Holmes, Lewis, Hubbard group is very similar to what, you know, Lewis, Harrison, Javante, Gene Baptiste, Tyler Friday, and uh, Jonathan Cooper are going to be this season. So go check that out. Yeah, other than that, I, like I texted out today. Um, I talked with Chris Olave's head coach today about a lot of – he basically gave me the oral history of Chris Olave from the moment – he met him to all the way up to the Clemson game and everything that came after that. And I'm talking with his dad tomorrow. So I'll text out that as well. And I'll be talking with Wyatt Davis's head coach when we get off of here. So yeah, look for those stories. We're, we're, some things that we're doing as season previews of some of the Ohio state guys that are, who maybe could have opted out of this season and started focusing on the NFL, but they chose to come back. Yeah. We have some really interesting stuff coming. It's sort of about like, 
the word regrets or maybe like unfinished business kind of stuff that has brought back some of these stars. Uh, Steven's working on a couple of those. Nathan's also working on a couple of those. Nathan, what else should people be looking for on cleveland.com from you? Yeah, I'll have similar pieces to that on uh, Justin Fields and Sean Wade. So um, those will be rolling out next week. I think just along with all of our season preview stuff. Um, I had a piece on Brent, uh, Baron Browning uh, this morning kind of talking about how uh, maybe he still doesn't have a position to call his own, but maybe that could actually bring out the best in him if they use him the right way and if he's up for it. And I'm writing about tomorrow just about, you know, how tough it's been to get these two freshmen ready for this season um, and how it's kind of still maybe a question whether or not those guys are ready if Ohio State needs them to start the season. The two freshmen what? The two freshman quarterbacks. Two freshman quarterbacks, because we talked to Corey Dennis. Um, I don't have anything coming, because I just do podcasts. Uh, I do want to say this, and, and I know for the people who are looking at this live, and I am, I think I am simultaneously boyish and like an 85-year-old man. And I sit here sometimes, and I can literally see my hairline receding during a Zoom call. And I think sometimes the pink headphones don't do me any favors and they make me look even more bald than I am becoming. But I would like to say, as you're listening to this on Wednesday, Wednesday is my 25th wedding anniversary. So my wife is upstairs. My wife lives in a world where I go in the basement and I scream. And she sits upstairs and she is a freelance editor and she sits at a computer and she's very doing very detailed editing. And her husband is in the basement screaming. And that has been basically her life for 25 years. So shout out to my wife, Katie. I love you. 25 years. We got like another six at least before I just completely break down. Not that dude, we're not going to be married, but like how much longer can I be doing this? So I'm 26, dude. Like you've been married almost longer than I've been on this earth. I have been wow. married a very long time, a very long time. And so my wife, I don't like to talk about personal stuff too much. 25 years, she gets one shout out. One shot. <laughs> Every 25 years, you'll mention her on a podcast. Yeah. Nathan, so, that is not your standard. For how so when you're doing the, the, the Disney maintenance guy podcast 25 years from now, you'll give her another shout out. When I am screaming in the old folks' home and she is sitting in the next room with her head in her hands, I will shout her out again for 50 years. So thanks to everybody who took part in the Zoom. Thanks to everybody who listened to the podcast. Thanks to all of our tech subscribers. Thanks to all of our readers at cleveland.com. For Nathan, for Steven, and for all of our Zoomers, I'm Doug, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.